This is Strange Assembly episode 192, live from Gen Con 2016. I'm pulling out of my driveway. You all know what that means. It's time for another drive to Gen Con. It's 6.30 in the morning on Wednesday, August 3rd, and that means that I am off to Indianapolis. I don't know what's going on in Nashville, but this traffic is ridiculous. One of the downsides of being a GB and driving. I'm trying to avoid too much insider baseball, but I'm now waiting in the early access line after a bit of uh, tribulation with that. There's a lot of uh, waiting in lines here uh, on Wednesday and, and Thursday morning. Uh, I used Gen Con's new parking sponsor uh, or parking partner. I'm not positive yet if that was worth the uh, reduced cost as compared to just parking at the mall for $20 a day. You have to take a shuttle. It made Will Call a hassle because you had to park in a temporary lot and then come in to Will Call and get your parking ticket and then go back to their lot on the shuttle and, and then trade it in for your permanent parking pass. And the shuttle doesn't really run every 10 to 12 minutes like they that advertiser was. I got some of the addresses wrong. Yeah, that sort of thing. But uh, we're now here we're uh, going to be going in in the not too distant future. I'll see if that's enough to get me a copy of Seafall, which I, I think is probably going to be the hottest thing here and reportedly is not in uh, as prevalent a supplies as one might hope. I mean, even given the fact that you knew it was going to be low supplies. So we'll see. Hi, this is Michael Bohr from Lubbock, Texas. It's my first Gen Con, and there are a whole lot more people here than I thought. But it's been a good show so far. Uh, lots of gaming last night, on night before at the hotels. Anytime you want a game, there's one going somewhere. <laughs> Well, I got a little worried at the size of the line, the early access line. I, I, I must have had a thousand people on it. I, that number may be off, but it was all the way back to Lucas Oil, all the way through the tunnel to Lucas Oil Stadium. So uh, there was a, a healthy number of things that were in very limited supply that if you weren't early access, you could not get. Uh, I was able to get Seafall. That makes me very happy. I think they had a little bit over 100 copies and they did them all today. If they had not done them all today, I would not have been able to get one. Uh, I also was able to pick up Pursuit of Happiness, so that was good. I think they were expecting me to get uh, Terraforming Mars because that's one of the other hot things, but you remember from my list, Pursuit of Happiness was the one I wanted to snatch up. Uh, I was then, while still in the early period, just before it ended, able to get over to Fantasy Flight and get on on the first demo of the day for the new Mansions of Madness. Unfortunately, that that demo was a little short, so I didn't get to experience much, except I learned that street urchins aren't very good at swinging two-by-fours at winged horrors. Uh, so I, I also got over, after they opened the doors, I got over to... 
Gale Force 9, saw Star Trek Ascendancy. That's uh, pretty cool looking. Still a little bit on the pricey side, especially since it only supports three players out of the box. But uh, it's definitely worth following up on. Hi, I'm uh, Jake Clancy, uh, designer of Cosmic Pioneers uh, with Vesuvius Media, who published my game. Uh, and here at Gen Con, I can hardly believe it. It's, uh, I heard someone say it was four football fields in size with 200,000 people, so uh, pretty incredible. Um, so uh, my game, Cosmic Pioneers, is sort of uh, a light uh, 4X game. Uh, it takes about 45 minutes. Uh, and it, it started, I guess, a year ago, about a year ago as just some index cards and 3D printed cubes as a prototype. Uh, I come from from Halifax, Nova Scotia, in Canada, and uh, I brought it out to the local game, board game cafe there, and uh, and Constantinos, uh, the guy who runs uh, Vesuvius Media, he saw the potential of the game and um, and managed to manufacture this this incredible copy that I'm, I wish I could <laughs> I wish I could uh, send some images through this uh, podcast, but uh, it, you know with with um, miniatures and uh, printed cards and player mats, it's really incredible to sort of see something that you design come to life like this. Uh, anyway, it's crazy to be at Gen Con as a designer. Uh, I never thought in a million years this would happen, and uh, yeah, uh, I don't know what else to say. Okay. Uh, it's here for sale at Gen Con. Right, can they buy yes. It it, you can buy it online on the uh, Vesuvius Media Store. It's uh, $35. Um, it has a variable setup, area control game, and uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. Give it a try. <laughs> Okay, I'm still here at the Vesuvius Media booth. I'm looking at Centauri Saga, Saga uh, which was on Kickstarter and has now uh, been released. Uh, and I'm here with the designer, uh, Konstantin Kavork. Am I yes. I'm getting that right? Yes. All right. And, and I'm talking to him because at the booth they told me that this was a cooperative 4X game, and I've never heard of a cooperative 4X game. So I, I want you, Konstantin, to tell me what a cooperative 4X game is. Yeah, so I come from a Dungeons Dragons background. So for me, co-op means that we get a party and go face missions. So this is what this uh, game is. You create your own party, but now we have spaces. We create our own armada, and we go explore, and we try to control the area. So it is a 4X game, but it is also co-op. It is uh, one for, to four players, so you can actually solo it, and it comes with five different scenarios. Each scenario brings a completely different game. It's like when you play D&D, you play a different uh, uh, story every time. This is exactly what happens here. So the community can create their own stories, they can upload on our website, and we can take it from there. Yeah. So do you do you win by... How much does it change from... the scenario. Okay, so some scenarios are going to be build a great structure, some will be defeat a great enemy, or...? Yes, there are scenarios that you can try to escort the ships to safety. There are scenarios to search and destroy. There are scenarios that are tower defense. You're just trying to defend whatever the game throws at you. There are scenarios that are, are uh, pick-up and delivery. Anything that you can come up with. The game comes with five. You can find another five on the website right now, and the community is highly active, so we'll see what it's going to take. Okay, and that's... Uh... Yeah, and, and people can buy this on the website right they now? They can buy it on the website. We have a special price here for GenCon. And uh, just uh, a note, because people are trying, have a hard time beating the game, you have to have the mentality that you have to split jobs. If you play for four players, somebody has to have the guns. Somebody has to be running like Somebody has to be defending. So you can't go in a story with four wizards. You're going to lose, okay? <laughs> so that's the concept. Okay, thanks for talking to us. Thank you very much. Well, I guess I'd, I'd say I'm even more out of a pop cultural currency than I thought, except really I, we should have all known by now that I'm not even slightly in pop culture currency. I never would have guessed that Upper Deck would make 
Big Trouble in Little China, the new legendary game, the centerpiece of their show. But they have a mocked-up semi-truck and a Chinatown, and uh, it's, it's quite a to-do. Uh, I was also able to uh, watch, uh, I didn't get to play one, but I got to watch a demo of Gloomhaven. Uh, that looked pretty interesting. Lots of, of different ways to track everything as the, the game went on. So uh, we'll have more about that later, too. In, in random news, I did get a copy of the Asmati 2016 Gen Con exclusive, Save the Cupcake, which is important because when I mentioned to my daughter that I saw this thing that was a game about cupcakes, she decided that I had to get it, so I would have gotten in trouble if I did not get that. So that that's that's good. I, she is not going to be capable of playing the game yet, but hey, uh, I'm, I'm actually at the Peaceable Kingdom booth now. You as hobby gamers have probably never heard of them. They make kids games and all cooperative games and cooperative games that you generally are not capable of losing. You can tell that these do not really uh, meet the approval of my cold gamer heart, but uh, a, a lot of parents and uh, and kids do like them. They've got a Mermaid Island game, which I'm singling out because my daughter also just decided last week that she really likes mermaids. At the Calliope Games booth now, the other big advertised thing is a hive mind, which was part of the Titans of Gaming series, which was a Kickstarter. I think we mentioned it on uh, on the website earlier this year. Uh, uh, Hivemind is actually a game that I already know about, and in fact, anyone who listens to Mark Rosewater's Drive to Work podcast has heard about this because it's uh, it's only just now being published, but it is a game that was designed by Richard Garfield, I think, 10, a couple decades ago now, and that they would play at the Wizards of the Coast office, uh, and it's it's where the, you're, you're trying to pick an item in a category that everyone else will pick, whether or not it's accurate, so the example that uh, Mauro always likes to give is if uh, if it's a, the category is insect and you pick spider, sure, a spider is not an insect. But if you correctly predict that other people will put spider, even though it's not an insect, then you'll still get the points. Uh, that's hive mind. Right, well, I mentioned Save the Cupcake earlier now. I'm here with Chris Seslick because Chris, because of course Chris, people named Chris are awesome. Just keep that in mind. Uh, the designer of, of Save the Cupcake. And, and I, I wanted to ask him because I, there is an unusual design and production process for this. And I think Osmati does a game like this every year, right? Yeah. So uh, a couple of years ago, it started with Red, which became Red 7, which uh, I was talking to Carl Chudik, designer of innovation and stuff. Uh, one night, we're just like, we're making a game right now. Boom. Uh, uh, and that became Red 7, which has sold, you know, tens of thousands of copies, and it's really fun. Uh, last year, we did something similar with One Deck Dungeon, and this year, about two weeks ago, I was like, huh, need to make a game for Gen Con. How about cupcakes? I just put together this idea called Save the Cupcake, and here we are. Okay, now, my daughter is two and insisted that I buy this. It, there's no way I'm going to be able to let her... This, this game isn't going to work, is it? She's going to be very sad once I actually give it to her. Uh, you can play around with the cupcake cards, I'm sure, uh, <laughs> 
You can find a game to play with it. There were at least cupcake pictures on the back I saw. I was concerned, like, oh, if there's no actual cupcake depicted somewhere, she's still going to be mad at me. Yeah, no, there's there's definitely adorable cupcake art, and there's some fruit in the other cards, so you'll be able to have a fun time with even a two-year-old and save the cupcake. Just don't eat the cards. <laughs> uh, luckily, she's past that age. Uh, so, uh, do, do, you, do you specifically, or as Monty, generally, what else do you have uh, coming out at Gen Con this year? Uh, so, we don't have anything that is being released at Gen Con this year. Uh, our two biggest titles that we're showing off are One Deck Dungeon, which had a Kickstarter this spring. Uh, it's a roguelike dungeon delver with five female heroes, uh, all of which are wearing sensible clothing armor, which is very unique in the field, as it turns out. Uh, a lot of people are excited about that. Uh, we're also showing off Thousand One Odysseys, which is a storytelling legacy-style game where you play a sort of sci-fi episode every time you sit down to play the, the game. Okay. Now, uh, I, I know there were demos running for Phoenix Syndicate, and I see a box of that running here. So what's the schedule yes. on that one? Uh, so Phoenix Syndicate is going on to Kickstarter soon. Uh, it is a game that's been worked on for about 10 years. It was one of the Cambridge Games Factory cast-offs when they all blew up and collapsed. And, uh, so I've taken that on. We've been working on it. We've got art ready. We're pretty much ready to launch. Game's all done. Uh, we're showing it off here, too. Okay. Great. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks a lot. Okay, uh, I'm here in the Sagamore Ballroom up on the second floor of the convention center at Gen Con. Uh, this is a huge room which has been taken over for many years now. Tun uh, just probably can tell me exactly how many, but by the Pathfinder Society. And there are, are there over a thousand people do you have in here? We have 180 tables of play going right now, plus our demos and our delves. Okay, and that is Tanya Woolridge, the uh, head of organized play coordinator for Paizo. Okay, uh, and so what is organized play for, for Paizo and Pathfinder right now? Organized play for Pathfinder Society has two pieces. We have our role-playing guild, which uses the Pathfinder RPG game, and it's a way for you to take your character anywhere in the world and continue to play a story with that character. Uh, we've got 65,000 players and in every country. Okay. Uh, and that, and there's a, and the other aspect is the the adventure card game, yep. right? Yep. We have the adventure card game, which is season of the shackles, season of the rune lords, and season of the righteous, which goes on and expands our base sets to a whole nother story. You can play almost a second time with the guild play. Okay. So is that? Is that so? Like, if, if like, let's say you have uh, the the standard card game and you play through uh, the Rune Lords, and there's there's the six adventure paths. Is this kind of like seven through twelve? Then beyond that, it starts again at level one, and you can bring a character with any of the character decks, and you play with the people that are in the local gaming stores or in your local area, and you move your character through another storyline. So this one takes place. It uses the art from the Dynamite comics, and you have another story that happens. What happens after the Rune Lord has been defeated? There's still six more. What are we going to do? <laughs> and so it tries to answer that question. What's going to happen with the other six? Okay. Uh, now, one of the reasons I was here to talk to you today is that you have recently announced uh, Pathfinder Society Academy, which I don't know much about except that it's Pathfinder Society aimed at kids. Uh, now, I, I specifically wanted to ask about that because as people who listen to the show know, I have two young kids. Uh, I've, I've recently, this year, I, I got to play No Thank You Evil with my, my son. Uh, now, he's 
he's five. So I, I think I think we're moving into the age where your academy is doing. But so what what are you guys doing with Pathfinder Society Academy? Well, it started out because I have two kids, um, and my youngest started gaming by sucking on his father's thumb, sitting on his lap. Uh, you know, at six months old, and my as he's gotten older, we've kept him involved, but he always kind of struggled to find his place sometimes. And then uh, I have a nine-year-old, and she's really into it right now, but can't sit at a table for five hours. So we came up with the academy. It's 15 one-hour lessons that takes a uh, youth, because I hate to say child, a youth um, through what is role-playing, what are these funny dice, what do, what do you mean by a character, what can I do? And it teaches them all of the information. We have beginner and advanced, and that's uh, nine hours. And then from there, we go back to a level one uh, Pathfinder RPG character that's a little more complex than the beginner characters. And we run them through another five hours of lessons and quests that talk about how to be a society character. What does it mean to have a Pathfinder society number? What are some of the things that are harder to learn, like splash weapons and attacks of opportunity and grapple rules? As we can all laugh about those. Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how many grown-up players fully understand the grapple rules. I've actually heard a lot of them going, "Can we run this?" But it talks you through those, and then at the end, you have a second-level Pathfinder Society character that you can start playing in. Um, Pathfinder Society Academy also has youth-friendly tables where either the majority of the players will be youth or the GM will be a youth, and so it takes a little of the pressure off sometimes because they're running for their peers and they're not having to worry about the other makeup at the table or extra efficient characters because the youth are much more enthusiasm over technical ability sometimes uh, so that they will have those as well. Um, the third piece that we've kind of done is we've taken a look at all the scenarios we publish and we've said these ones are really good for youth. These ones may have subject matter that we want to look at. You may want to change a little bit, just clean the story up. And these ones probably deal with subjects you do not want to introduce that six to ten set, six to twelve set to. Uh, we suggest you don't run those because Pathfinder Society, as an organization, uh, the scenarios are written PG thirteen. Now I'm I'm just curious, and not that this is an official Pfizer thing. So so my son's first character was named Everything Man, and he he flew around and did everything. Uh, did, did, did yours come up with anything more interesting or nuanced than that for theirs? No, that was pretty pretty much it. Uh, my daughter has Mirabetta Estrella because it's uh, uh, no, yeah, she, Mirabosa Estrella because she liked the beautiful butterfly idea, and uh, she just wants to run around and, and does not everything with butterflies. That's it. Okay, now um, is is. I'm guessing the answer is yes because it's called Pathfinder Society Academy. Is that is this something that's exclusively worked through the Pathfinder Society, or is there going to be a I don't know kids intro version of Pathfinder or anything like that? We have no plans for a kids intro version of Pathfinder. It is something that was a society initiative. Uh, not that being said, you can take every piece of the lessons and put them into a home game using the Pathfinder rules because everything's compatible. Sure. So, I mean, yeah, I've, I've got the beginner box, but even that's yeah. still a little much for us. <laughs> well, and the beginner box is where the academy starts. The first beginner and advanced lessons are out of that box. Okay. So they use beginner box bash quests, and then they use the beginner box character sheets because they're stripped down a little bit easier to read, a little bit friendlier. 
murdering. And then we moved them to the full-on, iconic, uh, pre-generated characters that Paizo has produced for that third set. Yeah. And now, uh, do you actually have people here for the first time getting to, or public, the, the public for the first time getting to play these uh, Academy adventures? The last couple of years, we've had them under Kids Track, and we've run Beginner in Advance, and they've been running uh, about five tables of them. We have a wonderful lead called Lucas Servideo that is just so enthusiastic with the kids, and he kind of did it on his own power and initiative. And then this year, we've wrapped him into the Society Academy. He is our head for it, and uh, he's added transitions, but they are debuting here. That, that link between the Beginner Box and Pathfinder Society, this is the first time anyone's seen it. It's five brand-new quests written specifically for the youth um, and developed by uh, Linda Zayas Palmer out of Paizo. And, yeah, they just... They're, they're being received really well. We've got loads of kids over there going, I want to play, I want to play, I want to play. <laughs> yeah, eventually I'll get to take mine here. I don't know how long it's going to be. Uh, the youngest is two, so she kind of... Just dragging it down yeah. a little bit, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, so I know that Pathfinder Society is not the only thing that that Paizo has going on here. I know I just got uh, Horror Adventures, and I know that I think was first for sale here. Yep. And I know you guys. I, I think this is the time of year when you start rolling out your new season of things for the the Adventure Paths and for the the Adventure Card Game. We are launching uh, Strange Eon as our new Adventure Path. Uh, we've got some some outer world mysterious darkness uh, brought to us by Adam Daigle. Uh, Horror Adventures launched here. Our new softback uh, 78% uh, core rulebook and bestiary are available here now for this first time. And then uh, we are previewing the new Adventure Card Guild base set, uh, Mummy's Mask, which is available in October. So, so, so Outer Darkness, is this more of an occult adventures or a horror adventures thing? Yes. I, I, okay. Yeah. It's a kind of a mix of both. Yeah, yeah I only just started Horror Adventures, so I'm like, this could some of this could be the intro to a cult adventure. Um, with some Cthulhu thrown in for good measure, and I'm sure we'll find some, some kings in yellow and, and other odd creatures. <laughs> the art is extremely disturbing. Uh, wonderful, but extremely disturbing. So, so this one is not going to get immediately thrown into the Pathfinder Society Academy? Uh, I'm, no. <laughs> no. No, while the kids will think, oh, that's so cute and tentacly. No, I don't think this one's about a Pathfinder Society Academy uh, thing at this point. However, Pathfinder Society is looking at uh, going ahead and sanctioning it as fast as possible for use. Uh, plus, we have upcoming in October, the Curse of the Crimson Throne hardback edition is coming back out. It's been revamped. It's got new material in it. Uh, it looks beautiful. So, uh, Society is going back and looking at sanctioning it as well for Adventure Path play. Okay, and for, for people who don't uh, know the nuances of that is, that it's going to be something similar to what you did with Rise of the Rune Lords, where you have an existing Adventure Path that was published in six installments. Now it'll be in one big, gorgeous hardcover yep. with, like you said, revisions and updates. Revisions, updates, new art, a uh, little bit of polish. Looks really good. Moved up from 3.5 to uh, Pathfinder Rules now. Yeah, so. okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, thanks for uh, talking to us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Okay, before I leave the Sagamore Ballroom, I, I figured there was actually one super important question I had to ask first. Now, if, if you're in the ballroom, pretty much the whole, the walls of the whole thing are, are coated with these banners, most of whom are the Pathfinder iconic characters. So the important thing is, who is your favorite Pathfinder iconic character? 
Liddy, I, I, I got some gnome love there. I'm sorry, I have to disagree with you. My favorite is Ezrin, because when you can play an old guy who throws his cane and you can use the catchphrase, get off my lawn, it works out amazing. Okay, now since the people who are listening to us have not heard you before, you should, I should probably have you introduce yourself, because we've been talking but not recorded. Yep. Hi, my name is Lucas Savidio. I am the department head for Kids Track, Pathfinder Society, Kids Tracks. <laughs> It's new this year. I'm it's sorry. New. We changed the name on you. You did. That, they're mean like that. She's mean. I'm you should have. Oh no! I've worked with her before. She's. I thought I was evil. Okay, I'm here with Ben Looms in the Sirenscape booth. Uh, Sirenscape, I, in very basic, right? It's uh, RPG and board game soundtracks, uh, a lot of uh, custom design, some of it custom designed for very specific things. But I'm going to let uh, Ben talk a little bit more about what that is and what they have going on at Gen Con. Fantastic. So you called it a soundtrack. I guess that's the one thing it isn't, kind oh, of. Okay. So Sirenscape yeah. is an app, indeed. It does make music and sound for RPGs and board games. But it's not a soundtrack. It's not just 15 minute loop that goes round and round and round is always the same it's actually say you've got your dragon city raid there's a dragon attacking women screaming the church bells ringing uh, roars buildings being crushed all those separate elements are actually separated within the act you can turn each of those up or down you can turn them on or off you can trigger those events it never repeats itself and never gets to the end of the, of the sequence of that soundtrack and goes back to the beginning so the players rather than being taken out of immersion by noticing a pattern that happens every single 15 minutes in the battle there's this rah rah and a scream um, it actually does all that computer generated and ever changing and ever different so that dragon roar for instance there might be 20 different dragon samples within the Sirenscape app and each sort of maybe some maybe every 30 seconds or maybe every 60 seconds some other time it picks up one of those samples puts it at a random distance puts it at a random direction within the surround spectrum and plays it back so yeah it's sort of like a soundtrack but like heaps better okay well see that I didn't know it was quite that random. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And you also have the ability, either the the players or the, or the GM or whatever, has the ability to just manually insert sounds when things happen during a session? That's right, absolutely. So you can, for instance, uh, have the dragon battle going on. You can then decide that it's going to start raining because you want to wet your players as well as frying them. So you just pop down to the storm, sound set we call it, turn on some heavy rain and some lightning, and that becomes the new environment. Everything's completely customizable, plus there's these triggerable sounds on the right-hand side that has everything from... <laughs> that's fantastic. Every, I'll tell you about that in a minute. Everything from the Wilhelm scream, which you can set off, to musical stings, like your big dun-dun-dun is available. And, yeah, roars from people as well. Roar, yeah. We should probably tell people what that is. So, so why, why is there someone... That's an actual person roaring in the background. That is. We've got... Um, here we're recording sounds. Last year, we took samples from everyone uh, in order to recreate the Gen Con experience. We actually took samples of people talking about their character sheets, uh, kids whinging for ice cream, uh, the general sound of the Gen Con hall, uh, people pushing through, and then all samples of dragon attacking Gen Con, zombies eating people's brain, people crying out in pain and saying, don't eat me, I'm too chewy, I'm a nerd, and all that sort of stuff. And we made, have made an official Gen Con sound set that people can download and buy, A, to recreate the sound of Gen Con, so they can come and hear, be surrounded by the sound of the, all the chatter and all the energy and the stands and the hawkers and then B to, to trigger that dragon raid on Gen Con and hear the official Gen Con dragon as it comes in and eats all the people at Gen Con.
one. Yeah, I am in in the the board game geek master this year. I'm just getting a copy of an old card game called Geeks the Convention that's totally based on Gen Con, uh-huh. so I could use it for that. Absolutely, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's quite amazing, and because it never repeats itself, it's not just a 15 minute recording I made in the middle of Gen Con. You don't get the same anecdote walk past every 15 minutes at exactly the same time, uh, but you actually have hundreds, uh, 600 samples or something in the Gen Con sound set, which are all randomly distributed in direction and distance and timing and everything. I, I, I think I made him mad when I called it a soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a problem. But that's, but that's the one thing we really need to get across. Everyone understands in tabletop games and board games as well that sound is the thing you do. Uh, say three to five years ago, it wasn't a thing you do, did. It was like, you know, people trying to, in- we felt like we were trying to introduce sound to movies and everyone's like, oh, you shouldn't do that. I don't wreck movies. <laughs> and uh, now everyone does sound. People use, uh, you know, different websites where you can click on a thing and it plays, plays a soundtrack. People use CDs and things like that. And this is just uh, a much more customizable, really, really easy to use, all centralized source for all the environments that you possibly want. Okay. I mean, now, as you, you mentioned sound sets earlier. You talked about a dragon attack. You talked about storms. But you have sound sets, well, a lot of sound sets that are designed for fantasy RPGs, for science fiction RPGs, for board games. What kind of variety uh, do you have out there? Yeah, so we have official license with Paizo to produce the official sounds of the world Galarian in fantasy. We have a license with Green Ronin, so we have the sounds of mutants and masterminds, heroes punching each other in space and planet-eating demons and all sorts of fantastic stuff with them. And we also have a license with Catan, so you, next time you play Catan, next time you roll a seven in Catan, instead of just going, oh, it's a seven and, and oh, well, I take your thing, there's a one-shot there, one of those trigger roll sounds I talked about, you just touch that, and there's 60 different robber smart comments in there. Uh, randomized, you'll like, it might take you months to hear all 60 of them, but there's a guy being smart and uh, taking your stuff, which is very, very funny. Yeah, I, I listened to some of them and I, I said it, uh, it wh- whoever stuff you're taking is going to hate you if you play these out. <laughs> Absolutely. And we have last one with Boss Monster, uh, Boss Battle, what's it called? Boss Monster. Boss Monster, yeah. I got it right. Okay, good now, I'm freaking out. Right. Uh, Boss Monster, which is this fantastic card game, kind of does an 8-bit rebuild, so we made this fantastic 8-bit kind of feel with with uh, 8-bit computer sounds and epic music and then um, yeah all these different events you can just trigger while you play the card game to immerse you in the universe that the, that is the world of Catan or the world of Boss Monster also R&R games we've got Spike and Spellcaster and there's a game called Orphans and Ashes which is amazing so yeah lots of growing stuff in the board game player as well oh uh, that the uh, I, I think I watched Bath the Root that's the strategic game of orphan burning yeah, that's right yes <laughs> so you can not only you know play the orphan cards out and all that sort of stuff you can hear the sounds of them wailing and screaming in pain as they get crackled so we are a, a lovely and wonderful people as we well are <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so there's um, you know lots of that you can really sort of add to the level of your game experience if you're playing a, a zombie apocalypse board game then you can just use the fantasy player and turn on the zombie attack and you've got yourself sorted already okay well thanks for talking to us man. it's a pleasure come to uh, sirenscape.com you can download the apps on iPads and iPhones and Android phones and tabs and PC and Mac and try it for free you don't even have to register then you can buy stuff individually uh, you know you buy your Red Dragon Mini for $15 and you buy the Red Dragon Sounds for $3.99 or then you can just subscribe to the Fantasy Player for instance for $6.50 a month which unlocks absolutely everything and the absolutely everything is huge believe me yeah yeah cool <laughs> nice to speak to you nice to speak to you too well, it's it's later than I planned it to be here on Thursday. I I had this goal of getting back to my hotel at more normal hours, uh, but I've I've kind of stretched past what I was supposed to do tonight so I could do uh, another demo. So I've done three demos. 
uh, that I haven't mentioned yet today. Uh, automobiles from AEG, uh, Treasure Mountain from Cosmic Wombat, and I just did Mystic Vale from AEG. Uh, automobiles is a, a bag building game uh, with the uh, race cars. I, I guess that makes sense since it's called automobiles. Uh, and you... The, the bags, the cubes that are in your bag, each correspond to some card that is out on the table, so it has a defined effect, although you can then switch what the effect is from game to game. So you'll have purple cubes, but there might be three different things that purple cubes can be, uh, which is pretty nifty. And at least it comes with nice containers in it for the, the cubes. Uh, the, the gameplay is, is interesting. I... I really ran away with the game. Uh, partially that was due to inexperience, but uh, there, there were a couple of things that were reminiscent of trains. And I like trains, but it felt a little samey to have the wear in this in the same way that you have the, the waste in trains. Uh, but also... It felt a little semi to trains in that uh, trains has some balance problems with how good different cards are compared to each other, and some of the cards in this just seemed exceptionally strong compared to the other ones. There was one pit crew that you drew a car or you drew a cube, and then you would destroy all the wear in your deck. So it then made it so once you got a bunch of those, you just didn't even care about wear, kind of. I don't know. Uh, so I, I like the idea. I'm not sure if the precise implementation of the cards has, has worked out that well. Uh, Treasure Mountain is... Uh, um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm tired and I'm starting to lose my train of thought here. But uh, this is dwarves mining, doing things for their king. You're a clan. Uh, I played a... It's still in prototype. It's going to go on Kickstarter. I don't know if it's later this year or, or early next year. But... Uh, it's it's a, a worker placement. You uh, have a mine, so you can take actions to expand your mine. You can take actions to uh, extract the gems out of your mine, to excavate further, to effectively add gems back onto your mine from the supply. Uh, then you can use the gems to fulfill contracts and get... Uh, coins, and then you can also get axes, and there's this threat of an orc attack that can come up. Uh, it doesn't seem like a, a big threat, uh, but it, it is out there to keep you on your toes a little bit and to reward you for being the one who kills the the orcs. Uh, it also has a, a bumping mechanism where you, you can knock somebody off, but you really, really want to get knocked off, because that then lets your guy take another action. He's not going to have a lot of options for his action at that point, but still, you, you want to take another action, but uh, I, I like that one. Uh, and then I, I just played Mystic Veil. Uh, this is the not deck building game. You have a deck of 20 cards. Uh, it's always exactly 20 cards, but uh, this is the one where uh, it comes with the sleeves, and you put your cards in the sleeves, and then uh, you the quote-unquote cards that you're buying from the center are, are partial transparencies that go down into the sleeve with the other cards and improve your existing cards so it's a card construction game instead of deck building or, or something but it has a lot of a similar feel but in a in a nice new and, and different way uh, with a little bit of 
push your luck in there too. So uh, that's that's I think it's one definitely worth checking out. Uh, it's Friday morning. I, I wandered into the double exposure uh, playtest hall uh, to see what was up. And one of the games I was walking past uh, had these miniatures that I thought, or not, right now they're standees because everything in this room is a prototype, but it had these really nifty, I thought, components where there were these poles where you stack them to track hit points and other things that I didn't know what they were. Uh, but I, I talked to, and I'm here now with Anthony Hansis, uh, and I thought that the game was interesting, and I asked him about it. So I wanted to let him tell you about it, too. So it's Defense Grid, the board game. Uh, it's a game based off the digital game Defense Grid made by Hidden Path Entertainment. We've been working closely with them for about a year now to turn their great tower defense video game into a board game. Uh, we've struggled, needless to say, with HP tracking. Anybody who's played tower defense games knows there's a lot of variety. There's a lot of all this stuff going on. And the solution we came up with was, since we are making miniatures for all 23 towers and aliens in the game, why not use that as part of the mechanics? So we've got these pillars that you can stack hit point tracking tokens on. You can stack status effects like slow. We're thinking about putting a dot in there, though that might hold off for a future expansion. It's a little extra complex. And then other things like shields and other just effects you're throwing on, just pop a little token on them. It makes it super easy. It's very visual, very trackable. (laughs) And and because I I sadly don't do as much video games as I do, dot is damage over time, right? That is correct. It is impressive. I'm impressed with myself that I actually knew that. <laughs> we also have uh, hots or heal over time with a couple of aliens and stuff like that. Okay, and now I'm I'm going to guess that your game, like everything in this room, wants to go on Kickstarter at some point. What are your plans for that? So right now we're planning to go to Kickstarter about a week before PAX South 2017. That's in late January. And we're going to be uh, getting a booth there and running lots of demos. And by then we will have all of our miniatures done. We will have even small runs of them so we can start showing them off and people can see what the final product will look like. I hear people like like miniatures run their backing on things on Kickstarter. <laughs> That's what we heard, too. That's what we heard, too. Um, it's not cheap to do. I, I will be the first to admit, we're, we're having to front a lot of money to get 23 miniatures sculpted and to get masters made in small runs, but Unfortunately, that's why we also have to go to Kickstarter because most of our money is going to making the game able to be produced. Um, we're looking at about a $25,000 Kickstarter, which will allow us to do the base run of the game. Um, and then we're going to have a whole bunch of stuff. We've already gotten permission to do up to four expansions from our licensor. Uh, that would start to bring in uh, additional aliens. In the actual game, there's about 20 aliens. We're only doing 13 for the base. And we'll be able to keep going. Okay. Uh, and that's... Uh, Anthony Hansis from Forged by Geeks. Thank you very much. Uh, I just finished doing a demo of Goonies the Adventure card game, and this was a a more unique than usual demo because it was uh, done with Matt Riddle, one of the two designers for the game. Uh, And so I I thought that instead of uh, you getting me giving some afterthoughts, which you'll get later in a normal episode, I'd let uh, Matt tell you guys about uh, the game that he helped design and uh, when it's coming out. Thanks, Chris. 
So yeah, Goonies Adventure card game. It is out in about a month. So that'll be about September, beginning of September. It should be available in full retail. Uh, it'll be at your friendly local game stores online from Albino Dragon. It'll be around 30 bucks, I think, maybe 35 And yeah, so Goonies Adventure card game is a full co-op, one-to-four player experience where you're playing as the Goonies. You're playing as Mouth and Chunk and Data and Steph and Mikey and Brandon um, Andy. And what you're doing is you're working together as a team to explore the locations that you remember from the movie, like finding Crystal Copper Pot, going to the restaurant, uh, going to the water slide and the skeleton organ. And you're trying to clear obstacles so that you can discover one-eyed Willie's gems and map a path to the ship and win the game. And the whole time, of course, the Fratellas are chasing you around and you're encountering them and they're getting in your way and they're adding obstacles and they're making it harder on you. So, yeah, it's it's really been great. We've had a great time playing it at Gen Con. It's certainly a game that we designed specifically to aim at a, you know, probably a family audience. I mean, it can be played by gamers as well. It's actually a very good solo game for those, for those uh, gamers that are into that. But it's something you can also sit down and play with your kids. You work together as a team. You take all the actions completely cooperatively so you can allow, you know, your um, if you're playing with kids, you can allow them to make decisions, but you can kind of guide them when you need to, make sure that you're being efficient as you kind of manage the risk of working through the adventure of the Goonies. So, yeah, I really appreciate Chris giving me the opportunity to talk about it. And uh, if you have any questions, please, uh, I'm R-I-D-D-L-E-N, Ridlin, on BGG or MD Ridlin at Twitter. Feel free to ask me a question anytime. I'll let you know what I think when it comes out. If you have any how to play, whatever, hit me up anytime. Thanks a lot. Well, I'm here inside the uh, the Boss Monster uh, booth, uh, and I'm here because they have a, a virtual reality demo that I just finished up, and I'm here with uh, Bruce Wooden of uh, Alt Space VR, and uh, he is much more conversant in uh, VR, anything VR than I am, because like, this is the first time I've ever done anything in uh, in VR, but uh, so I thought I'd let him talk about uh, what they're doing with this. They've got some tabletop things and some other uh, non-tabletop gaming activities in there. Um, sure. Hi, this is Bruce. Um, we are Old Space VR. Uh, we're basically a platform for people to hang out together in virtual reality uh, and do stuff while they're hanging out as well. Uh, so that could be we're going to a comedy show or we're going to explore this giant labyrinth or we're going to play disc golf or do some tabletop gaming, which has been uh, a, a very cool and, and popular use case for us for our users. Um, so we have D and D like a battle grid and figures and uh, and tiles and whatnot. Uh, we have love letter and of course we're here in the Boss Monster booth uh, because we partner with Brother Wise Games to bring an epic four-player uh, table uh, of Boss Monster into the experience. So you can play Boss Monster with people and sit around the virtual table, even though all of you are scattered around the world. So that is really uh, kind of the the focus and purpose of of what we're trying to do. Is is, is find ways to bring people together and let them do the activities that they love. Okay. Now, uh, I, I don't have a VR headset. I know most people don't have a VR headset. Is there any way for people to check out what this looks like without having something like that? Absolutely. We actually have a 2D mode, so you're able to load up Alt Space VR. You can go to altvr.com and download the app and, and check it out in a 2D mode without a headset. Not as immersive, but can still get a feel for how what people are doing and ask people questions that may have headsets in there, uh, which is really cool. Um, and Other than that, we're compatible with the Oculus Rift headset, the HTC Vive, and the Samsung Gear VR mobile headset uh, with the Samsung phone.
phone. So and it's all cross-platform, so all of those users, no matter what you're using, could be in the same space hanging out together. Okay. Oh, well, maybe, maybe my uh, maybe my high school buddies will have a chance to play D&D again from across the country. Uh, thanks for talking to us. Thanks very much, and hopefully so. That's the idea. Bring, it, bring the gaming group together, man. <laughs> do much with music or costume at Gen Con, but that was one of the musical acts, and because this is in Gen Con, they're a steampunk airship pirate band with a guy dressed like a, a, <laughs> a bloody rabbit. So, there you go. Okay, so the, the Gen Con official parking partner, in future years, if they're anything like this year, they are definitely to be avoided. The 10 to 12 minute wait times are actual or cycles are actually 15 to 20 minute cycles. But more importantly, this is the third time I am walking the entire distance of the convention center and then the entire distance of Lucas Oil Stadium because there are so many people waiting to get on the one shuttle that they have running back and forth that you will sit there and wait for the shuttle. And then the shuttle will come, and the shuttle will pick up some number of people, but not you, because there's not enough room. And so now you're going to have to wait another 20 minutes for the next shuttle. So it's just unacceptable to you know, have to wait half an hour, 45 minutes for a shuttle that is supposed to be running on sub-15 minute cycles. Well, my math trading isn't quite complete. And then I, uh, it's Friday night, I still have a few more trades to do on Saturday morning first thing and then Sunday morning first thing. Uh, but it's almost done now, which is a, a big relief. Uh, like I, I mentioned, I got got myself into more of a logistical headache than I I realized. So it's nice to get that, that done. It all went pretty smoothly. Uh, I traded item for item. I ended up with a... Mm, much larger volume in games than I, I came with though, so my my cramped office and my wife probably aren't going to be too thrilled about that. So maybe next year I'll trade large box games for small games. We'll, we'll see. Uh, so I am, I'm up here now uh, at the Pathfinder Interactive. Uh, it's going to be starting soon. Uh, you're not going to be able to see the cool things to see because there's going to be video up on the screen, but there is going to be audio uh, custom designed by Sirenscape for this, and uh, you may get to hear some of that uh, later. Uh, I think it'll come through well enough on the, the recorder.
here at this Gen Con. For those of you that earned money yesterday, please stand up.
We have learned this phenomenon is the work of an entity trapped on Octurn's tier, and whatever this being is, it is calling out for help. We do not know its intentions, yet it is in our interest to learn more. If it is benevolent, it may prove a powerful ally and friend to the society if we can free it. If it is malevolent, then we will do what we can to ensure it stays sealed away where it can do no harm. As it approaches planets, the entity has opened gateways in magic dance regions, as if calling out to powerful champions that might come to its aid. Based on our calculations, the first of these gateways on Valerian should appear in a matter of minutes, and we have gathered in this magically infused site to draw the portal here and stabilize it, allowing us to travel to the asteroid ourselves. Our observations show billowing clouds pouring out from three locations on Octurne's tier. These both create a livable environment we can navigate, as well as provide three entrances to the asteroid's interior so that we can find the source of these events. The first entrance is at the base of an enormous crater where there are monumental fortifications, likely making that the most difficult approach. The second room is coming from the remnants of a frozen fortress, which could contain incredible secrets in its own right. The third room is coming from the sunward side of the comet, issuing from a number of lava tubes. Our observers also spotted the wreck of a metal craft nearby. This will be an unusual environment, so prepare for unusual conditions. Extreme temperatures, low gravity, and airless pockets are likely. Everyone should have received a package of supplies to assist in managing these hazards. While the gateway should remain stable, a contingent of conjurers is staying here to monitor it, and additional teams are on standby to provide escape routes to extra-dimensional shelters in case of complication. Perhaps most importantly, we ranked this area with defenses to prevent any outside interference with this expedition, and the bronze dragon of Ahelbetin has agreed to keep watch in case any evil attempts to escape through the gateway into Valerian. The spire of Nex begins to hum, the vibrations causing a stomach-churning resonance as a pinpoint of light appears in the center of the portal ring and begins to glow. Serena Wester shouts to be heard over the deafening noise. It's beginning. Be ready to move through and split into teams to investigate each of the three possible approaches. Once we're inside, we can regroup and compare notes. The metal of the portal ring incandesces, and a blast of freezing air pours out as the gateway opens. The place beyond is a field of jagged gray stone. And once several dozen pathfinders step through, the Earth itself springs to life in the form of countless elemental creatures that swarm toward the gate. From further in, a terrible draconic roar accompanies the appearance of a flight of crystalline dragons sweeping out from the bullet of the crater. Secure the gate! Do not let any of them through! Wester shouts as she sends a lens of swirling black and white energy into one of the worms sending it careening end over end as the forces meet. Pulling into Gen Con for Saturday, walking by the Offworld Designs booth. They, uh, if you've been here, they always make the Gen Con t-shirts. I always get one for myself and then one for my wife is sort of a, hey, sorry about leaving you with the kids for five days. Um, I just saw the most adorable little Ray on the the bus on the way in. I, uh, I, I, want, I want my daughter to like Ray more and like pink things less, but 
uh, I'm continuing to work on that. Uh, this is also the time when I'd like to comment that please stop talking about Pokemon Go. I don't care that there are lots and lots of drowsies around Gen Con. Although, to be fair, everyone else that you're talking to does seem to care. Uh, apparently, Gen Con actually contacted uh, the Pokemon Go people and asked them to deny requests to add more Pokemon Go features at the convention center uh, or the vicinity because they did not feel the need to have uh, thousands of random non-Gen Con Pokemon people uh, coming around here as well. It's, uh, it's changing the world. So my name is Dan Cunningham. I'm the designer of Lunar Architects. Uh, it was a game that went on Kickstarter last December, successfully funded, and will actually be shipping in October. Um, it is still pre-orderable from the website, but I'm here demoing it, um, playing games with people, uh, just getting a little bit of the word out, just you know, feed it boots on the ground type of thing. Um, everybody's been enjoying it quite a bit. It's a uh, tile-laying game of moon base design. So uh, players are architects designing moon bases using blueprints. Um, you're competing for those blueprints, you're adding them to your own personal moon base plan, generating resources, generating scoring items, getting points along the way, and then, uh, yeah, the person with the most effective moon base at the end wins. So, yeah, the reception's been great. It was great last Gen Con when I was here. Um, ran in the uh, first exposure playtest hall for a while, actually, and it went very well before the uh, before the, before the Kickstarter. Um, now it's in its final form. Everybody's enjoying it, and so I'm having a great time playing it myself. Okay, and you said people could pre-order on the website. What's the website? Yes, uh, the website is lunarchitects.com. It's a portmanteau of Lunar and Architects, or ironkittengames.com. They're right there. Okay, thanks. Alright, uh, I'm, I'm here at the uh, White Wizard booth. Uh, I've just gotten to uh, play with a, a prototype copy of, of Hero Realms, which was on Kickstarter uh, a little bit ago, uh, but is still open for laid backers. I also got to see some of the upcoming Star Realms things, and I actually got to play Hero Realms with uh, Rob Doherty here, and so I'm going to hand it over to him so uh, he can tell you about Hero Realms and, and what else White Wizard is doing here at Gen Con. So uh, um, we're doing demos of Hero Realms here, uh, and uh, um, we're just demoing with the base set of Hero Realms. We've got prototypes done of that, but we also have the uh, the character packs here to uh, uh, to show press all the the base game and the character packs and the Kickstarter backers stretch goal cards and uh, um, and Year One promo cards have all gone to the printer. So we're still on track for October delivery for our Kickstarter backers and Christmas for retail on uh, on Hero Realms base game and character packs and um, and back at the office uh, we've uh, we got people busily working on the uh, the campaign uh, starter deck and the boss decks for the uh, January shipment for the Kickstarter backers um, but uh, yeah, we've had a lot of fun showing off Hero Realms here we also have for Star Realms we uh, brought um, we had some uh, of the new Star Realm set uh, uh, airshipped here to the show 
Um, that set is called United, and it features multi-faction ships and bases, uh, new more powerful hero cards, and also uh, we have a new type of card called Missions, um, which players can com- uh, complete objectives during the game, reveal uh, their mission cards to gain rewards, and if they can reveal all three of their missions, uh, then they win the game on the spot. So it's an alternate wi- victory condition as well. So those are a lot of fun. Um, and those uh, you can look for those at your local game store in about two to three months uh, um, where they're being uh, uh, they're being built out right now at, a, at the factory and then they have to have to ship over. Um, for people who missed out on the Hero Realms Kickstarter, um, we do have a late backer program for this month uh, only. Basically, we're going to be sending out surveys in September. Um, we have a late backer program, so if you go to the Kickstarter page for Hero Realms, click the late backer button, and uh, you can uh, you can still get in and still get all those awesome stretch goals and such. But uh, uh, but you only have a limited time that has to be done. Basically done uh, um, in the month of August. Okay, I know I wanted to ask you, uh, people who have been with uh, Strange Ascent before, I may know that we really, really liked Star Realms. Uh, we actually ended up making it our, our game of the year when it uh, came out. Now, uh, Hero Realms obviously shares a mechanical core with Star Realms. Uh, it is it's fantasy instead of space. But uh, having played it here, especially with the the champions, it's not just taking Star Realms and and putting a different set of pictures on the cards, right? Yeah. So it, this isn't uh, just a uh, like a fantasy reskin. The base game of Hero Realms does share the core engine of Star Realms. So if you know how to play Star Realms, you know how to play Hero Realms very very quickly. It'll just take you a minute or so to learn the learn how to play. Um, and but the the factions are different. Uh, the cards are uh, the cards do different things. Um, the pacing of the game is different. Uh, so um, while you'll while the the play is super familiar and you'll know how to play immediately, it'll feel fresh and fun for an existing Star Realms player. Um, and then when you start getting into the expansions we're doing with the character packs and the boss decks and the and especially with the campaign uh, uh, stuff that we're doing with Hero Realms, uh, the games start feeling very different, but still have that super fun Star Realms core engine behind it. So uh, um, you know, we think people are going to have a lot of fun with it. If you just want a Star Realms style game, you can just pick up the base set. If you then want to um, uh, do the uh, play a specific characters, do the campaigning stuff, we'll have all those uh, expansions available for people. So just like with Star Realms, you can pick and choose what things you want to play, and the base game itself uh, is a multiplayer game. Uh, actually, with Hero Realms, we made it a uh, uh, playable for up to four players right out of the base box. So for 20 bucks, you can get a complete four-player deck-building game with beautiful art and fantastic game mechanics. So it's a, it's an awesome deal. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. All right, I'm in the AEG booth now. I'm here with Tom Cleaver, the designer of, of Alley of the Kings and its its later versions. Uh, Strange Assembly Jay and I both really like uh, Valley of the Kings, and this is the, the second expansion or the third standalone version of It Last Rites that's coming out with Gen Con. So, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm here with Tom, and did you want to talk about the process designing this new version? Okay, hi. Uh, thanks for interviewing me, Chris. Um, yeah, the new version... Um, it's all about the people who help you get yourself into your tomb, <laughs> such as embalmers and priests, priests and priestesses. That's kind of a mouthful. Uh, and the artisans who help build the tomb and the painters. Uh, 
these people aren't actually in tune with you, <laughs> but uh, they are there for getting you points at the end of the game by getting you victory points for uh, their help. Yeah, the new version is completely new in as much as I not only changed all of the uh, action cards, but I also changed the starter cards. Ooh. All A whole complete set of fresh starter cards. And yet, we can still integrate all three versions of the game to uh, make very special versions. Yeah, right. You can uh, bring the different sets together by taking one of each, you know, you just have one of each color, and you but you can choose which version you put in, right? That's one way to do it. Okay. Other ways to do it are, for example, to strip out all the duplicates and match them that way. That way there's a lot more variety in any game. Okay. All right. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, thanks for interviewing me. Bye. Okay. So still at the AEG booth, now I'm here with John Clare, the designer of, of Mystic Veil, vale, one of the hotter games, I think, here at, uh, at Gen Con this year. Uh, and I'm also standing here with uh, with Todd Rowland, uh, also of, of AEG. And uh, so do you want to talk about Mystic Veil vale first, or do you want to talk about the other thing? It's up that to was you. What do you want to hear first? I don't know. Well, I, I, I personally, so I've gotten to play Mystic Veil vale already, so I'm going to just ignore what the audience might want who hasn't played Mystic Veil. Vale. Let's sure. talk about the other thing. <laughs> sure. So the other game we'll start with. Yeah, the other so, one. So Edge of Darkness is the, quote, other game. <laughs> um, Edge of Darkness I actually pitched to AEG first. Played it with Todd at Board Game Geek Con, yeah. actually. Um, the prototype initially, right? Yes, um, yeah, that was the first game I actually pitched to them. They liked it a lot. They picked it up. Um, and then we started talking about... What could we do with this mechanic otherwise, right? And of course, when I came up with the mechanic, I already had a half dozen ideas for games that I could do, right? And it was just about, what do I prioritize next to start working on with this sort of card crafting mechanic, right? So these guys said what, we, what they'd love to see is a more gateway type of game that, that has... So, back to Edge of Darkness. Edge of Darkness is like a medium-weight Euro game, right, that's driven by the card crafting system um, and has some combat elements to it, okay? And it's a much meatier game um, in terms of the rulebook's going to be longer. It takes maybe three times as long to teach the game as it does to teach Mystic Vale. Mystic Vale takes, you know, five minutes to teach, right? Um, it's a very different game than Mystic Veil, right? So what they brought to me was the idea of, okay, maybe we could use a more gateway type of game, easier to pull off the shelf and just play a quick game and, you know, go on to the next game, right? Um, so I went back to the drawing board, so, you know, started working on a game, got Mystic Veil going. It was a little bit raw, more raw than when I pitched Edge of Darkness, but I knew these guys were already kind of looking for it. So I, I pitched it to them in a more raw state. They really liked the concept. Um... Enough that they said, okay, we can actually potentially release this one before Edge of Darkness. <laughs> and that ended up being the plan. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and I, you know, I should ask this before I remember. So I've somehow gotten myself signed up into apparently a Mystic Veil tournament later today. So I've played once. So w w what should I be doing in this game? What, what are the strategies? What's, what's the correct strategy for when you uh, are, are, are starting out? <laughs> sure. When you're starting out. Okay. Yeah. So there's. Well, let's assume that I've played an awful lot of deck building sorts okay. of games. And so sure. I'm, I'm, you know. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
go for the deck speed. It's the most straightforward. Deck speed, what I mean by cards that will help your deck to turn over really fast. Go for those cards. So it's, it's not the only viable strategy. It's the easiest strategy to do well at, right? There's some other more strategies that require a little bit more nuance that can beat that strategy, but um, uh, maybe take a little bit more practice to uh, a little more knowledge, well, a little more knowledge of all the cards in the game and what are the potential combos to pull off that strategy. Yeah. Okay, and no, don't and don't put and don't put two decays on one card. I already never got that. Put two decays on one card unless you can cancel one or both of them. Yes, yes. I I Wait think the expansion, and then you actually may find some powers that benefit by having two decay on the same card. Ooh. Base game, bad idea. <laughs> okay, and so uh, Mystic, yeah, Mystic Veil is for sale here, and that's already in retailers, or it should be. Yeah, Todd stepped away for a second. He knows more than I. But yes, it's out in retailers. I know. I don't know about online. Um, I think it was pre-sale for online for a while. They might actually have it in stock now. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for talking to us. You bet. Alright, you, you, you can tell that we started out as the Legend of the Five Rings podcast here, because I'm still, still at the AEG booth. Uh, so, and still here with Todd Rowland. Hello, everybody. Alright, and there's, uh, of course, not not just uh, Valley of the Kings and Mystic Vale. You've got several new things either that came out within the last month or were being revealed here at Gen Con. So, I was hoping you could uh, tell us about some of those. Uh, sure, too. I'd love to tell you about are actually ones we've revealed here at Gen Con. They'll be on the market in October of this year. Uh, first off, we've got Love Letter Premium. Now, Love Letter Premium takes the game of Love Letter up to two to eight players from two to four players. It introduces several new characters in the court to fill out those extra spaces because now it's a 32-card deck. They're oversized, tarot-sized cards made out of a, a plastic, so they will hold up to your drink spilling on them or whatever else happens. Uh, some new upgraded tokens and components and the rules, of course, of which of the new nobles to add to the deck for whichever number of players you have. Still very quick play like Love Letter is. It's still the draw one, play one mechanic at its core. Although some of the characters have some fun new abilities like there's a, a zero value jester. When you play him, you target another player and if they win the round you get a point as well. Because they're you're, you're better at me than Love Letters. So <laughs> I think you're going to win. And then also in October we have Fantasy Hordes and Heroes coming out. Now Fantasy is Yahtzee meets Village Defense. We'll put it that way. <laughs> you draft heroes and various classes and to activate their abilities and to make them attack, you have to roll certain combinations of the dice. Some are simple as just you know roll a 6 and assign that die to him. Others maybe roll a 1, 2, 3, 4, straight, things like that. You activate the heroes in order to attack stacks of monsters. By killing the monsters, you earn victory points. The monsters will, of course, hit back. Your heroes tend to get killed pretty quickly, so you're going to be constantly cycling your strategy throughout the game. Now, there is a village deck, too, and the monsters are in a row, and if the front row of monsters, if you don't kill the face-up monster on that row on your turn, they're going to sack part of the village, and you have to take a negative victory point into your pile as well, for, depending on whichever building was destroyed. It's completely random, and some are worse than others, but losing the stables, not a big deal. Losing the treasury, oh, everybody's pissed, right? <laughs> so you lose a lot more victory points. Uh, Fantasy's really fun. It's really fast. Um, it's got really neat artwork. We're real happy with it, and that will be out in October as well. Okay, and for anybody who's trying to uh, to look that up on, on Board Geek Geek or somewhere else, Fantasy is F-A-N-T-A-H-Z-E-E. 
yeah, like I, Fantasy Yahtzee. plus Yahtzee. Exactly. All right. Yeah, here's what I think. So I've I've got. Uh, I wanted to go back to the love letter for a minute. I've got several different versions of love letter, and you guys have published even more. Uh, for this one, uh, you're back to the I guess the AEG original right. version of it, and you've got the Tempestart, which I always uh, really liked. But I was just curious, how out of the the options did you pick uh, this one for the sort of premium upgraded? Sure. Well, it was the original. It was our our core love letter, right? There had been the version, the Kanai version in Japan before we had picked it up, but this was the core one. This is the one that out of all of them has still sold the best out of all of our possible versions we've done. You know, a lot of them have done fantastic. Batman's done fantastic for us. Adventure Time's done really well. Archer is selling really fast. But the original core Tempest skin is still by far and away the best seller. And that's the one we always want to come back to as the basic love letter that most people will recognize. Okay. Now, uh, because this is at a, at a con, there's, you know, some bundus specials with things that you have. But I noticed that the uh, the eight epics, uh, which is another game by Seiji Kanai, the designer of letter, is excluded from that. So there must be something shiny or and or new about this. It is brand new, in fact. It is also an October release. Now, 8 Epics is a micro-game cooperative dice game. So you all play as one of eight heroes who has a cool ability, and you have to roll dice to defeat various end-of-the-world scenarios that come up one round after another. However, they can be very difficult. So, for instance, to defeat one of the scenarios, three players have to roll a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 on 6 dice. <laughs> Seems pretty hard, right? Well, each of the heroes has abilities that may be able to help you in that regard. One hero, for instance, can once per round set a die to six. So you can guarantee the six. And others give re-rolls. Now, if you have to take extra re-rolls, you have to take damage on your hero. Like, they begin to get injured by the monster or whatever. If all your heroes are killed, game's over, you lose, the world ends. If you have at least one player survive all the way to the end and defeat all of the monsters, you win. And of course, the, the, the ways you defeat the monsters change. For instance, in some cases, it may be that you have to roll 25 or less on 7 dice or something like that, so you're having to constantly try to roll low or eliminate dice from the pool, different things like that. Okay, yeah, and I saw something, despite the fact that this is in the, the little small box uh, age, I mean, anybody who's seen your game should be familiar with this. There was, did I say there were 20 dice in here? Yes, there's That's a lot of <laughs> dice, and that did increase the cost of it a little more than our usual micro games. It is at $20, whereas most of them tend to float around 10 to 15 but it was because there's so much dice and, and things in the box. Okay. And anything else you wanted to uh, spotlight while we're already standing there? Well, we did. I did mention earlier, and we did just release Archer Once You Go Blackmail, which is the Archer version of Love Letter. Not the one you're necessarily going to play with Nana and the kids, but <laughs> it is definitely fun. And for anybody who's familiar with Love Letter, you know that at the beginning of the round, you remove one card from the game, so there's a little bit of confusion as to what people actually have. Well, in this one, that card is referred to as the Hidden Identity. And there are cards in the game that will interact with the Hidden Identity in different ways. It will either let you guess what it is, and then if you're right, you win the game right then, or let you swap your card with the hidden identity and things like that. <laughs> yeah, and I guess, yeah, Adventure Time card, where that's been out for a while, I guess that's the one you do play with the kids. Yes, that Adventure <laughs> Time, the, the normal one, those are the ones we play with the kids. Letters to Santa around Christmas time, things like that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
Hello everybody, my name is Breeze Grigas. I'm the lead designer of Aegis, the combining robot strategy game. Aegis is basically Pokemon meets Voltron. We have 92 robots in the game and you build teams of five to play against each other on a hex board. So you build a team of five robots, they play against your opponent's team of five robots. The five robots on your team though, they share energy with each other. So at the start of every turn, all the robots on your team put all of their energy together in a pool and that determines how much stuff you can do on your turn. And the other cool thing about the game is, if you have two or three or four or even five robots that are compatible, you can mash them together to make really awesome Voltron Power Ranger robots, and that will change your strategy in mid-combat. In mid and the game is uh, going up on Kickstarter before the end of the year through Greenbrier Games. Uh, we're going to ship in a red box and a blue box with 40 unique robots in each box. No doubles, no randomness. And if you buy the box, that will if you buy a box, that will give you enough to play uh, four player immediately. And the games one versus one go about 15 to 20 minutes. Four player goes for about an hour. And yeah, that's uh, the game. And if you're interested in uh, giant robot anime, Power Rangers, Voltron, this is definitely the game for you. Thanks. It Voltron is cool. Power Rangers, I, I, I'm too old for that. Let's not speak of that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm here at the, the Greenbrier booth with uh, Julie Ahern, and uh, we have been looking at Grimslingers, which uh, was a, a Kickstarter. It is now on its way to backers. Some of the, actually, probably by the time you hear this, you'll, you should all have it, unless you're in another country, I, I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, well, my... I have to spend five days here, so if I go back on Monday and I spend all evening editing this episode, my wife will kill me. <laughs> so, because she's had the kids for five days by herself, so oh, there's a there's oh a no. there's a little bit of a lag. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so, so you Kickstarter backer should already had it. It's it's for I, I mean it's for sale for people to buy here, but uh, it's September is when people can expect the retail release on this. Absolutely, they should get it by mid-September in the stores. But like people who are here could. If they were a Kickstarter backer, could pick it up here. If they hadn't came by the store, we're hoping that they'll have it so they'll, they'll get home. They'll have gotten all these games, and then they'll have a nice box with more games waiting for them when they get back. Okay. Uh, and now uh, Grim Slingers. Let's see. So it's Grim Gunslingers. I'm guessing we've got a portmanteau there. What, what's going on with this game? All right. As a Grim Slinger, you were um, an interesting enough being that the Iron Witch noticed you. Decided to keep you for his own, hollowed you out, filled you full of wire and bits and magic, and put you back together. And now you are his puppet to uh, do his nefarious purposes. You train by doing the basic PvP using element spells, and uh, it's a rock paper scissor kind of mechanic to fight each other and duel. Um, so it's a quick, quick play game where you're out in about 15 minutes. The whole game, whole thing's over. Uh, as you get better, you get more spells. You can pick up items to use, and you have an archetype where you become a, a witchborn or a vampire so it changes your stats and augments your spells. Once you're good enough and he's satisfied that you are a proper Grimslinger, then you go on a full co-op campaign where you are trying in the core game's uh, first campaign uh, he has raised the ire of the Witch King and so instead of of course facing him mono a mono or alien o a alien o as it were 
he sends you his puppets out to do his bidding and take care of business. So you're working together to solve the puzzle of the story, try to determine your own mystery of who you are and what happened, and, and get different small encounters along the way with a variety of different um, monsters like the jackalope or events like uh, a tornado. And each of those things lets you level up. So it's a, it's a full co-op campaign that lasts. So you go from 15 minutes to about a 90-minute campaign. Okay, so so what I'm taking away from that is fluffy, full of light and happiness, and you get a pet rabbit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's super lighthearted. <laughs> you know, you don't nothing dark at all happens. It's all okay. You don't use somebody else's wooden leg to club somebody at all, ever in the game. No. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, so uh, this is is a, the thing you have uh, brand new here, but I know you've got some other things in the the booth. What else? Uh, what have been people have been most excited about uh, here at this at this Gen Con? Well, I'm pretty excited. Personally, I'm excited that other people are excited about Yashima. It came out last year. The core game came out last year, so it was a big thing last year. This year, we have three, at this point, we have three additional um, box sets that you can do to add to your game, and I did the writing for all of them, so I'm very excited about it. Um, Yashima is a miniatures-based combat game where you are playing a kami master, and you combine your spirit with an animal spirit, and your combined forces, which is shuffling the two decks together, so you have different combinations of battle decks you can play, uh, you use that card deck as your entire gameplay. You move the miniatures around so that it determines facing of your attack, but your card is your life. You spend it to determine initiative and also cast spells, and then you can straight up use it as a straight attack, depending on the pattern and where you're moving around the board. Um, it's also a pretty quick player. It's about a 25-minute elimination game. Each of the characters has a very different style of playing so what's fun about it is it's quick but then you can reshuffle the decks and try different characters and see how the different characters have different gameplay for example your fire character Akiko is a hammer she just slams she just hits and hits and hits as opposed to Rosamu who is much more subtle he comes at you sideways but he can chain his attacks and do multiple smaller attacks for maximum damage okay and that's so from from the names that we're using the art I'm seeing, I, I take it that this is an Asian fantasy theme, so our, our listeners who are, who are big Legend of the Five Rings fans and are waiting until 2017 for Fantasy Flight to bring that back, is that something they should maybe look at? Yeah, I spent some time in Japan, so um, I knew uh, I had learned a lot about the Shinto faith, and that's really where the core of it comes from, but each, each expansion actually goes, my idea being that it's a futuristic alternate reality where the continents have shifted at this point, so the core game is mostly Japan, but the different, like the icy peaks are mostly the Himalayans, so you have, uh, you know, you get the food dog in there, and then the the deep forest woods is more Korean, so you have uh, Kitsune the fox going on as your as your kami. So you get a little bit of different cultures intentionally in each expansion. Okay, uh, and I'm just going to randomly throw in here as I'm looking at it. Just even this is completely out of order. Sorry, guys. I like the uh, I really like the art in Grimslingers. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Because that's apparently the kind of guy I am. Well, no, no, it's gorgeous. <laughs> Steven is extremely talented, and we're super lucky to have him as our new art director. So not only did he do all the art, and it's gorgeous for Grimslingers, but he's doing the art for Zipocalypse, our new art when it comes out, Zipoc Burbs. He's adding to the folklore. So we had our original artist, Jason, who's amazing.
amazing, but also very busy because he does art for magic and a number of other people. So Stephen is very good at, at, at taking what's already established and recreating. Uh, it is now. <laughs> and that's when you say folklore, that is that folklore the affliction? Correct. Okay. Um, so he is doing art for all the things. And here he is right now, taking stuff and running away. <laughs> Did you get this one back? All right. No, no, that's okay. It's it's live. This happens during live things. It is. We've got yeah. So is this that's, is that Stephen or Jason? Which this one? This is Stephen. Hey, Stephen. I we're Steven. we're on recording. This is Strange Assembly. So and so you are the you were the artist, but were you also the designer of this yeah. too? Right? You did like everything. I did everything, and I kickstarted it solo, and then Greenbrier picked it up afterwards. So I'm a magical little Canadian. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, hollowed out electric wizard creatures from a magical. Canadian yeah. and Green Wire Games. is Il Troubadore. They are obviously playing a Star Wars song while in Star Trek costumes. And uh, that's a clarinet, by the way. So I've been uh, coming to Gen Con for years and gaming for years. And Slugfest Games has been making Red Dragon in for years, but I never actually played it or had any idea what it was about, other than the very, very super basic. So. Uh, I actually got a demo of that, and I'm mostly saying this right at this exact second because I have to hurry to a next event, but now when I listen to this at home, I'll remember to talk about it in the, the normal non-live episode. Alright, so I just finished playing Tyrants of the Underdark, and... Just to completely switch gears from that, I am now, but, but within the same publisher, uh, I'm now talking to Sean Swigert, who is the, the lead designer, along with uh, Aaron Dill of Star Trek Ascendancy. Uh, that's has gotten a, a giant launch here and at somewhere over in Vegas, I think, that's a Star Trek convention? It's the 50th anniversary Star Trek convention down in Vegas right now. It's, it's a circus. <laughs> okay, and uh, I, I imagine that you guys have uh, moved a lot of these this weekend? It's been very popular, yeah, the, the event we hosted here we had 18 tables sold out every seat at every table straight through the con lines waiting for empty seats to open up it's been great yeah well and that's and that's requiring people to take the who are interested enough to take the commitment to have i mean that's a, those are four hour slots i think for these they games, are right? yes these were full bore four hour game sessions so yeah a lot of commitment yeah so uh what when you when you found out that or Gervas and I found out that he got the Star Trek license, what was your your process in trying to bring Star Trek to life for this game? And that's that's a that's a pretty long question. Okay. But, but I'll, I'll try what to I'll try to I'll try to shape it for you here. Um, it really was a hey, we have an opportunity to get a Star Trek license. If we do this, what kind of game would you want to do? 
So the very first thing I did was spend a day or two sort of just thinking about all the games that have gone before. What has been done in the Star Trek universe? And of course, it's 50 years. There's dozens and dozens of, of venerable Star Trek games out there. There's card games and every type of game imaginable, role-playing games. And giving that thought, I, I said, okay, so I know what I don't want to do. I don't want to do any of those games. I don't want to do something that's already been done before, and I don't want to do a game that is necessarily going to to be compared to those games. I wanted to get out of that headspace. Um, the go-to on, on a Star Trek game is always, oh, well, it's Kirk, it's Spock, it's an away mission, it's it's that. And I was like, no, I want to pull the camera back. I want to, I want to do something that hasn't been done before. I want to tell, I want to do a galactic civilization game. I wanted to do a 4X. And after I kind of got my head on that, we started formulating, so what are we going to do as a 4X game that is going to be different than the other ones out there? So we, we really hit upon this idea of most 4X games underserve exploration. We wanted a game that exploration wasn't just something that happened early on and was out of the player's control. We wanted it to be intrinsic to the strategy of the game. And the fluid map system that we've created allows the player choices to build the universe and influence the play strategies later on. Exploration isn't just something that happens early and is a throwaway. It is a essential part of the strategy. And I think that sets us apart. Yeah, and I hear that exploration may be a central theme of the Star Trek shows. Exactly. <laughs> Thematically, once again, like why did we why did we go down that logic track? Yes, absolutely. It there, you couldn't have a more Star Trek theme than to make exploration be a high point of the game, not just something that happens as a tangent. Okay, and uh, and so the ascendancy base game comes with Romulans, Klingons, Federation. Correct. Cardassians are about to hit. And the, yeah, about a month from now, the streets worldwide. Cardassians about a month later. Ferengi about a month after that. Okay. Each player race, in addition to adding to the player count, also adds ten more systems, more exploration cards. It just grows the whole universe. Yeah. If you uh, once the Cardassians and the Ferengi come out, is it playable up to five player? Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Now, now we're going to have a lot of dead air in the time if I don't, if I have anything else to say and just cut this out. <laughs> well, that's that's one of the things with the live, right? Because uh, because it's got all the crowd noise. I can't just snip it out, or else it's obvious it's, that I've it's, snipped it out. Weird. There's a little inside baseball there for you, uh, folks listening. You know. <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, it's been it's been great talking to you. The game looks really cool, uh, and I hope you guys have a lot of success with it. Thank you very much. Thanks. Rolling into the convention center on Sunday morning. Sunday's always a bit of an odd bird. There's always a sense of winding down. It's kind of already done. Right, the normal day at Gen Con starts at, I guess, 10. I keep getting here before then, but there's not a lot that goes on before 10. Uh, and goes into, you know, midnight and later. Sunday starts at 10, ends at 4, and it is it is done. So it's it's really not even a full day in some ways. Sometimes you, you can, even if you're not at trade day, you can spend longer here on, on Wednesday than Sunday. Uh, Sunday is often a day that I would use for checking out last things at the, the dealer's hall, but this Gen Con, because I haven't been doing tournament games, 
Uh, I've largely already done that, so I, I don't have that activity. On the other hand, I, I do have these continued uh, specific uh, interviews scheduled, so that uh, actually, oddly enough, gives me more of a schedule than I would usually have on a, a Sunday, you know, unless I made the last day for uh, a tournament game in some past year. So my my early to bed, early to rise schedule is just clearly not consistent with Gen Con. So uh, I want to talk about Tyrants of the Underdark, which I mentioned that I, I played earlier, but ended up talking to the designer of uh, Star Trek Ascendancy, uh, and I didn't talk about uh, Tyrants of the Underdark. It was quite good. Um, I like deck building games, uh, and this has that deck building aspect to it, but uh, this really good uh, on the board area control, stabby, spy. I mean, it's it's really appropriate with the uh, the Drow Underdark theme of it, and so uh, if you like deck building games, I think it's uh, definitely worth checking out. Ah, Gen Con, where you can both feel like things are winding down and be standing in a crowd of thousands of people waiting to get into some doors. All right, I'm here at the Stronghold Games booth on Family Fun Day at Gen Con. I'm here with uh, Stephen Bonacore, the owner of the company. That's right. All right, and uh, now you guys had five new games that came out, and I right now you can only buy two of them in the booth because you already sold out three of them. Right? That's right, exactly. Every I mean, the reception to Stronghold here has been great. Tom Vassell, who is my arch gaming nemesis, we have a great time. He teases the ha- crap at me. He said, "This is uh, Stronghold's best crop of Gen Con releases ever." So it was a very big compliment, and he has been overly praising about a couple of the first ones too so let's get right into it let's go out to the, the, the one of the biggest um, buzzed games here maybe it wasn't the number one it was the number two after Seapol Terraforming Mars now one thing to mention about Terraforming Mars even before we talk about the game is that it was partly manufactured here in Indiana right in Lafayette Indiana which is a really cool thing so local economy helping them out it was partly done in, in China partly in Germany but Final assembly and some production done right here, and the games are brought right from the factory, right here from Ludofact USA. Well, that's a little different. I think I mean, isn't the default just make it in China, ship it over on a boat? Well, I do. I do some games in China. I actually do most of my games in Germany because I want that extra quality. But we're now going to work with Ludofact USA, the, the the Germany's new company here, to produce some games in the USA. In fact, I'll be doing a lot of those kind of things where it'll be a co-produced game between Germany and the USA. It'll give me advantages in time to market and in shipping costs. It'll be a really good thing for Stronghold Games. Okay. Now, uh, Terraforming Mars, that sold out on Friday, right? That's, no. That's I'm sold, sorry, Thursday. That sold out in the first three hours, three and a half hours on the first day. We didn't even have anything here by the time I changed over my shifts at 2 o'clock. Terraforming Mars is a game about changing the planet Mars to be habitable. So this takes place about 400 years in the future, and you're literally 
literally trying to raise the temperature by adding CO2, uh, add oxygen so we can breathe, uh, and then introducing crops, introducing livestock. And we're doing this, we're trying to be the best corporation. The government are giving us contracts. So as a corporation, we're trying to do these things. And and at the end of the game, the one with the that become the best corporation. So it's not cooperative, even though certain goals of, of getting the temperature higher and getting the oxygen level higher are kind of semi-cooperative. It's a really interesting thing where I need this to be here for my project and you need it to be here for your project and things like that. And you're trying to be the best corporation. If you take, of course, we are, we're on radio here, so to speak. <laughs> the production quality of the game is absolutely stellar. It's got all of these, it's got over 200 cards, over 400 cubes, and of those cubes, 200 of them are the standard plastic kind of cubes, so it gives it that spacey look. But even beyond that, we have metallic, bonded, gold, silver, and bronze cubes. So it just gives this great table presence as well. Uh, yeah, I, I walked into the booth here and I saw those the big gold cubes and the smaller silver and bronze ones, and they really stand out from yeah. just you know from across the room. Yeah, it's going to be a big, big seller. This is going to street date in September, and uh, if you're looking for this game, um, you should go to your retailer. There's going to be an early launch kit for this game that a retailer can buy into, where they get five sellable copies, a demo copy for free, and 20 promo cards that only brick-and-mortar retailers that buy into the launch kit will be able to get. So you'll be able to get a card that nobody else in the world is going to be able to get for quite some time. Sometime over months after that, they may become available. But you'll be the first to get the game, except for people here, as well as get this promo card that will be very special. Okay. Now, I think, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that your next biggest buzzy game game uh, here at Gen Con has been Dragon and Flagon. You had a giant, like, literally launch party last That's night right. for this, right? It's called The Dragon and Flag, and I've been very definite. I have four games in the last year with a the in front of it. Well, I went to The Ohio State University, so I understand. <laughs> there you go. So in The Dragon and Flagon, which, by the way, is designed by Jeff Engelstein and family, Brian, Sidney, and Jeff, he designs most of his games with his children, and they are integral designers, because now they're 20 and 22 years old, respectively, so they are really part of the whole thing. In The Dragon and Flagon, you are in a medieval uh, fantasy world, a tavern, and of course a barroom brawl breaks out because that happens at all taverns in, in uh, medieval fantasy. You're playing an archetypical character, a monk, a mage, a cleric, a druid, a barbarian, and by the way, an incredibly ethnically diverse group. We, Of the nine characters in the game, five are female, and, and four are male, and the whole spectrum so we really wanted to make this ultra inclusive in the way the game is presented as well. And the female characters looking at the card out here actually wearing a full set of clothing. Always a good. Oh uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Nobody is exposed. So, so it's <laughs> very interesting. Yes. Well, um, right, that, that's not always the case with fantasy games. That's absolutely right. They're, they're fully dressed. Um, and the game is three-dimensional. You have physical tables on the board, and actual wooden chairs, and wooden mugs, and wooden barrels, and rugs, you, you can use every one of those pieces in the game, like throw a chair at somebody, roll a barrel down one of the aisles and knock people over. You can jump on the table, swing from a chandelier, and kick people in the head. And the object of the game here is to get the most reputation at the dragon and flagon. And you do this by a, by a card play where you're programming one move ahead. You have a move that's about to occur, and then one more move, and then you determine what has happened on this movie, you slide the other one over, you program a second one, 
it is a streamlined game, just fun in a box. Tom Vassell gushed over this game when he did the review last week. Yeah, it, it I, just looking at it, it stands out a lot from, I guess, your usual barroom fight. Because there's a lot of not a lot. There's a decent number of games out there right. that are it's a barroom fight game, but usually they're just sort of toss a card out there and not nothing in the way of, of movement or, or certainly not these these great uh, standy furniture and wooden furniture that's uh, populating the the dragon and flagon. Right. And uh, Tom Vassell said that this is the best game in this genre, and that 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 meant a lot to us. And last night, as you said, we had the Dragon and Flagon rollout party. It was the launch for the event. Jeff and family taught 180 approximately people how to play the game on microphone. It went so smoothly. Everybody walked away. The winner walked away with the, with the game on each table. Uh, everybody got a commemorative pint class. It was a really a lot of fun event. There were cosplayers all over the place. I was in costume as a, as a monk. It was a great time. Okay. Uh, now this one, that sold out, but your, your third game that's already sold out here is City of Spies. That's right, City of Spies, the third game that sold out here. Uh, City of Spies, Estoril 1942. This game has a lot of historical basis um, to it because in 1942, during World War II, in the city of Estoril, Portugal, it was known for all these spies. And we and while the art here looks a little little like cartoony almost, or or you know caricature-ish a little bit, it's actually based. The people are actually based on known or thought to be spies that were in the city of Estoril during this time period, as well as the locations uh, that are there. The game has an amazing amount of variability, where you put out, you start, you, you have the game, you play it with six locations, they're huge tiles, huge map tiles, and then you are placing your spies to try to control the areas to recruit other spies that will be there. You all start out with the same spies in your hand, and over time, you're placing your, these are tiles, not really cards, you're placing the various areas to control them, and you're going to go through a certain number of rounds during the game, recruiting more and more spies, scoring points during the game, scoring points at the end of the game to get this control. So it's an area control and set collection kind of game with a theme of spies. Another one with great reception partnered with the great um, mess of board games out in Portugal to do this game. Okay, and uh, you mentioned the Terraforming Mars it hits retailers in September. City of Spies and Dragon and Fla- The Dragon and Flagon, <laughs> they come a little bit sooner than that, right? No, City of or- Spies has just come out this week, in okay. fact. Uh, the Dragon and Flagon comes out at, on August 31st, and Terraforming Mars hits the streets in September, either mid-September for the early launch or the end of September for the final worldwide release. Okay. Uh, now, uh, I put as my second most anticipated uh, game of Gen Con, and not, I, know, I know a lot of other people put Terraforming Mars, I put Pursuit of Happiness. Now, you, you've, now you've got to sell this one because it has not sold out, and it should. I bought a copy on Thursday. Again, it's not Pursuit of Happiness, it's <laughs> oh, The Pursuit of Happiness. <laughs> like I said, it's pretty, it's pretty funny. A lot of our games have a dud in front of them uh, for this past year. Yeah, The Pursuit of Happiness. Somebody has said it's like the game of life done right. In, in, in The Pursuit of Happiness, the object of the game, you're going to take yourself through your entire life. From, from a teenager through old age. And the goal of the game is to die the happiest you can possibly be. How much more wonderful 
simple is, is that? I mean, you're just trying to live the life you've always dreamed of as happily as you can. You start out as a teenager and you've got like a paper route or something like that, and you take on smaller projects that you can do. And then later as, as we progress and, and, and the time is going to progress and people are going to age, uh, everyone's going to age simultaneously in the game. Uh, and you're going to get a career, you're going to get a basic job, then you can go into like a second level job or a third level job. Or maybe you don't want to progress it with your jobs and you want to and you want to do more travel so you'll get happiness that way but how are you going to fund that so you have to figure out ways of getting income getting knowledge to do certain things um, it is a essentially a resource management and worker placement game couched with this theme of just trying to be as happy as you can the funniest part of the pursuit of happiness that I think is that certain things were going to cause you short term unhappiness but could have this great effect later so like one of the things is like eating healthy and there's like four levels to eating healthy one is like eat salad it gives you unhappiness eat more salad is the next level it gives you a little more like a little more it's called stress a little more stress eat even more salad oh you're still stressed out but if you get to that fourth level all of a sudden you actually gain longevity and you're really really happy by doing that <laughs> so you can even you can even live a little longer than other people so you're going to take a path of you know, if I go this and I do it right, I can really get great. Game looks beautiful. Streamline Euro with the worker placement and set collection. Uh, it is it is almost sold out. We got about 50 copies left, so it has done very well. Uh, this game will be in retail also on August 31st. Okay. Now the the last one that's here, it's it's Craft Wagon. Do not tell me it's the Craft Wagon. It I'm looking not. right at the box. That is right. It is. Not. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I will say it's Craft Wagen if we say it in, in the actual German. German. But it's also Kraftwagen, the V6 edition. There was an original edition that came out last year. What we did was we made a few changes and we added some new tiles into the game. Uh, the latest technology at the at, this, at the time that this takes place was the V6 engine. This is the start of the automotive industry in Germany and in and around Europe. So all of those superstars of engineering in Germany and around Europe are in the game as as cards. So you've got you've got Daimler, Benz, Porsche. You got those are actual people. Those names didn't come out of like thin air. Um, the Italian designers, uh, car designers. They're they're in the game as various people that can help you do things. Object of the game is to produce cars to fulfill demand of customers. So if a customer is looking to get a um, a car like the, the cheapest kind of car for their family, you need to produce inexpensive cars. If they're looking for performance cars, you got to produce those. So the customers will be there. You'll be able to see who is available to sell to, and then you'll try to produce those cars to get victory points. It is a victory point-based game. And you even have the, the track, because very early in the uh, in the European and German um, automotive industry, they had to prove that these cars were really good cars, so they, they raced a lot. There was a lot of racing. So you have a, tr a little racetrack, and that racetrack is just simply based on how well the engines you develop and things go, and you can get around at that track faster, and you get another way to score your victory points. So a really nice mid-weight Euro by M Matthias Kramer, uh, and I put this in my Great Designer Series, my new Great Designer Series as a third in that series, and uh, really happy about the way the game came out and the streamlined nature of the game, a real great mid-weight Euro. So does this have a mechanic in it where you have to figure out how to deal with the emissions standards and whether or not you're going to cheat on your test? No, that's that's, that's more like in Kanban, <laughs> right? The other car production game that I did. Here, oh yeah, now I just got your joke because yeah, the Germans did not 
not do a good thing <laughs> recently with that. Yes. <laughs> Notice that the Americans didn't make too many comments about that. I think there might be more cheating going around than you think of. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll find out eventually. Yeah. I guess. The coolest mechanic, though, I want to mention this game is that it has a, a, a rondel mechanic. You know, where you select the action by moving around a, uh, a, a loop. But that rondel is constantly changing as you do it. What's available to be? You'll start on one end and you'll move to something. So when you take that action, that action then goes to the back, so somebody else can't take it. And then the next one goes, and that one, and that one, it'll be able to take taken by another player. And how far down the track you move to take an action, other players might be able to take multiple actions behind you. So you've got to judge how far ahead you want to move on that track. Really, really neat game with some really novel things going on there. Okay. So that that's your new stuff. Do you have anything that of your uh, your pre-existing lineup that's gotten people excited here at Gen Con? Uh, I mean, on the pre-existing stuff, we're, we're still um, had a lot of releases from earlier in the year, like Pirate Tunes. We've been showing it. We've been selling quite a bit of that. We did a lot of Village sales. We picked up that line recently. Village, Village Inn, Village Port, and My Village, the new game in that line. So, Stellar Conflict, I mean, just continues to do well in my small box line. Bear Valley. I mean, it's just been a really great year for Stronghold, and I mean, we're just continuing to find great games for gamers. That's what I'm doing. I do a lot of games, but I want everybody to look over Strong and say, well, what what are they doing like this? You like Euros? We got those. You like thematic games with conflict and things like that? You're going to look at a game like the Dragon and Flag and stuff like that. So okay. want to be, we want to be that company that every gamer says, well, what are they doing? And that's, that's what we, I based the model on. Okay. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you, Chris. Hey, it's Jay. I'm here too. We... <laughs> I'm sure at some point we'll jibber-jabber more about what all happened this weekend. Right now we're just buying way more than can fit in my suitcase back home, going back home, so... But Jay, there's there's nothing more important to do at Gen Con than buy random like old L5R cards and books, which is what I just did. That's what I just did too. Hey, I, I like my shiny cards. If they have a tomorrow deck for five dollars, I'm a sucker enough to buy that, so Yeah, I bought honor bound starter decks. <laughs> I was almost tempted by the Discord starters too. <laughs> Luckily, just, I never touched that. No, no, just because those are fun to hang up as art. If they were cheaper, <laughs> I probably would have done it. Yeah. We just need to talk them down. It's the, the Pearl Edition. That, that actually costs money. That I could need some of that. I think that's the end of our yep. random aside here. Woo! We're here in... Is this Entrepreneur's Alley or Entrepreneur Avenue? I think it's an alley. An alley? I don't know. I don't know. We're, we're in the Entrepreneur section with uh, James Campbell, uh, the owner of Gutshot Games. Uh, they are the ones who are bringing Headhunters, which you've heard about from us, uh, to Kickstarter later this year. And But uh, I, I talked to him earlier, and I, I thought he had an interesting story about how you, you came to be making this as a game and working with Ben and Danny. So, you know, if you wanted to, to tell that. Well, Headhunters is a very long story, and it wasn't always called Headhunters. Hunters. Um, but in 2007, I had the bright idea. This in 2007 was way back before there was Funko or there was you know all this craze with kind of vinyl toys. But there were still vinyl toys. Um, Trexy was a big one that I really liked and I collected. Um, and in 2007, I had the idea of hey, I wanted to make a larger toy that, and with a game inside the head. 
And that model that I created way back then was a lot different than what I looked like, but it, what it looks like today. But if you go back to 2007, that was way even before Kickstarter. And us inventors, we would present things to toy companies. And I, um, so I came up with the, the idea. I put together a game in about a week, and I sent it to. Because, but I am I'm an inventor. I'm not a toy uh, game designer. Two totally different skills. And I submitted that toy to Hasbro and Mattel, and who were who both said the same thing: outstanding concept, we love it. The game is horrible, which it was. And um, so I spent the next couple few years trying to become a game designer, and then I just kind of gave up on it and said, no, that's not that's not what I do. Um, and I put it on the shelf. Well, then as I've been, I, I always love board games, um, and so I play. I like to play different board games. And there was a game I really liked, which was the Legendary Encounters. Um, and I was like, you know what? I wonder. And I just took a chance, and I randomly emailed um, Ben and Danny, who created Legendary Encounters, and I said, hey, I have this great concept. Would you like to partner and create um, create a game to go along with it? And they responded right away. And we created a great partnership where the, I, uh, the toy used to have a round head. They talked me into changing the design to make it a hex head. Um, and we kind of went from there. They did. I did place some limitations on, on them in terms of you're only going to be able to have this many components. Because I really wanted, uh, as I said, I'm a game player. So even with things like magic, you have to have dice to kind of track health. Everything I wanted to fit inside the head. So they had some limitations, but they created a really great robust game and I was in no hurry to get it out there because I wanted to make sure the game was good and that's what they delivered and so that's why now we're unveiling it and why we're doing it at Gen Con is because we want people to see it's a great game, not just a gimmick not just a toy with a game inside but a great game that just so happens to have a toy that sits on your shelf and that's kind of the story of Headhunters okay. Great, thanks I'm here at the Indie Game Alliance booth with Mike Ganade. Uh, you uh, have a, a game here, Brass Empires. I had seen it on the on Board Game Geek. It looked interesting. So when I heard you were uh, going to be here today, I wanted to, to track you down. Now, uh, this is a deck building game with a, a steampunk theme, but there's a lot more going on than that, right? Yeah, so I actually designed this game out of my own need. You know, I love the deck building mechanic, but I found a lot of those games, I introduced it to bigger groups of friends that I was all of a sudden like, I don't like this. And I realized it's because it's just sort of like multiplayer solitaire and I was just waiting around longer to take my turn. So I designed this game from the ground up to be a lot more interactive and uh, a lot more competitive too. There's some battle mechanics I borrowed from some of my favorite collectible card games or trading card games of the past with some battle mechanics. So uh, And a lot of the cards themselves interact with players a lot more. You can steal victory points. You can force people to discard cards. You can even steal their cards with some of the more powerful cards. So it's a a lot more uh, interactive. You got to pay attention to what the people are doing. Okay. Oh no! I, I did this with my my the Star Trek Ascendancy review. I you ended. I should say something else, and I don't realize what it is, and because it's live, I can't just edit it out in the middle. So, um, say more about your game. Um, I guess just the thing. What is the interactivity? There we go. That's, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, the interactivity. Uh, mainly, you sort of you start off like most deck builders, sort of building your deck, getting better and better cards. 
sense. You sort of want to graduate to, we have two center rows in our game, so you want to graduate to the second row, which is sort of the R&D department, which is full of buildings and crazy steam-powered contraptions. And you want to start using buildings, which stay in play, giving you ongoing perks, like building a corporate infrastructure. And then you're going to want to start recruiting mercenaries and building crazy contraptions to start defending those things and attacking and sabotaging the other players' perks and bonuses. So that's where a lot of the interaction and, and battles and sabotage come into play. He, he, may he or she who has built the uh, most magnificent steampunk corporate empire win? Is it? Yeah, basically the idea is to uh, accumulate the most brass, which is the most valuable resource in the land. Um, it's represented by victory point cubes, um, but even if you have the most cubes, that doesn't mean you necessarily won. You have to pay attention to what your other players are doing. There are a lot of different paths to victory. One of them being to just have the most valuable companies based on their personnel. You know, you've hired the best you've hired the best you've hired the best employees or maybe you have the most valuable blueprints to certain buildings. Each card you purchase has its own brass value. So it's not about just accumulating points. There you go, right? Yeah, you can uh, you develop the good design and then you get somebody to buy you out. There you go. It doesn't yeah, matter if you brought it exactly. to market. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks for talking to us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm here at the Lone Shark Games booth with Mike Zellinger, the uh, the owner and uh, the chief game designer for Lone Shark Games. We have a, a few things to talk about, but I wanted to start with uh, the Ninth World, a skill-building game for Numenera, because I really like Numenera. So uh, this was on, on Kickstarter earlier this year and is here in a, a prototype form, right? Yeah, yeah, and I approve of your life choices, by the way. <laughs> I, you make good you make good decisions. Uh, so this is the Ninth World, a skill-building game for Numenera. I, Monty Cook and I go back 20 years and uh, we, we always want to work together and never find the right project or whatever. So uh, my friends Paul Peterson and Bo Radakovich came up with a cool core engine for a game and uh, they said the following sentence, it was hysterical, they said, said, this would be great if we could have a property kind of like Numenera. I mean, I know we can't have that, but maybe we can make something, you know, science fiction, you know, what do you mean? I called up Monty and Charles over there. I said, let's make a game together. You in? And they went, yeah. And so, so it's like, you have Numenera now. Let's make that game. So uh, that took like five minutes. So um, general concept uh, is that you are adventurers a billion years in the future. Um, you have uh, a uh, set of cards, five cards that are your skill cards. And so the point of the game is to build them up over the course of the game in the way you want to do that, so you all end up very different from each other. Uh, you go on an adventure in uh, one of the regions of Numenera, in which uh, we have um, nine re- the nine regions of the Steadfast, which is sort of a, a tightly packed, a central Europe-like environment. Um, and then uh, there are a whole bunch of expanded regions after that, uh, that are called the Beyond, which is a thing that our Kickstarter backers will get. The um, yeah, so uh, it's a billion years in the future. That's Ilian with a B, and um, the Age of Man has come and gone eight times, and all the stuff that they left behind is still lying around. So if it looks like a pot, you should probably put it on your head. I'm sure <laughs> nothing will go wrong. Sure. Yeah, and that's uh, and of course that that all the details of that. 
that world, which are really cool, are described in the, the new era yeah. RPG books. Yeah, we, so. um, I mean, we obviously aren't trying to do to replicate the Numenera RPG. Although we do, we did make it uh, at the request of the fans. We did make a cooperative mode and a competitive mode, and uh, the co-op mode plays great. And if you're more of a get around the table and work as a team person, then that's the game you'll play. And if you're more of a punch your friend in the face uh, person, although this is a totally non-violent game, there's no player versus player uh, fighting. But um, well, it's not non-violent. You fight all sorts of monsters. <laughs> So forget I said that, but um, but it's never like you're trying to screw anybody. It's more just like you're trying to do the best thing for you, and everybody's trying to do the best thing for them. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd say the for the Numenera RPG exploration is a core theme, and in the competitive, you're trying to be essentially the best explorer yeah. to find the most wondrous thing. Yeah, so just trying to be the best the best you can be. Okay, and uh, and when obviously Kickstarter backers will get it first, but when do you expect this to? Uh, we finished. Uh, I don't have an answer for that. We finished all of the uh, design. Um, we've got about a third of the art in. Um, it's it's got a layout, but not all the cards are in layout. So I, it's going to be a couple months. Okay. Well, I guess that was the wrong question. Usually that's the publisher's favorite question. When I does hate it that come question. out. <laughs> no, okay, well, I, 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 so the, the thing is, two. no, it's totally fine. <laughs> I uh, I have learned that every time I answer that question, I'm wrong. Ah. Um, the, the basically, uh, I'm at the mercy of my printers, of my distributors, of all those things. And I, you know what? I'm just going to say, we'll, we're really close to being in a very good place with this game, and I think it'll be out shortly after that. Okay. Well, now, and you've got uh, two other games yeah. in the pipeline that are here at the booth. One of them is uh, Apocrypha. Yeah. So uh, let's go drop in on a game of that. Um, uh, so Liz Spain, who's one of our key designers, is uh, is demoing it here. Um, so uh, Apocrypha is a game in which uh, it's it's set in the modern day, and I literally mean that. It is literally set every day you play it. It is today. Um, so we're going to be doing things that's, that actually interact with what day it is right now every time you play it. You might want to check our Twitter feed. Um, so um, the general nature of the game is that there are monsters in the world. We're on the edge of the apocalypse, but nobody else knows it. Like, they, they can't see these monsters. They don't really... Every Reality just sort of warps itself around uh, the the things that they do uh, because of this sort of fog over the world called the paradigm. And so, but you, lucky you, you're a saint and can see the monsters. And just, just to put a little fine point on it, they can see you too. They know that you can see them, which is bad for you. Um, the serious downside that you have is you have all these superpowers and you have forgotten all of them. <laughs> and so over the course of the game, you unlock fragmented memories that are uh, written by the best authors in the world. So Patrick Rothfuss, Kids Johnson, Aaron Evans, Bruce Cordell, Jerry Holkins, all these guys who can dream out loud in the craziest way. Um, they all gave us these memory hooks to write superpowers from. And so and you discover these superpowers uh, and add them to your character in a halo around your character. So you can have like eight of them in sort of a three-by-three three grid. 
those change the game dramatically. The yeah, game, and, and that's persistent from session to session. Right? Yeah, you also have a deck of cards that also changes from session to session, and um, uh, so you know it's a it's a totally modern game. It's based in principle on the Pathfinder Adventure card game, which is a game we released a few years ago, mm-hmm. and but. It's kind of like we started with what we had done there and then just went off in a crazy other direction. So if you know how to play Pathfinder, you've got a decent chance of jumping right into this game. But uh, but it's a really different game. And uh, it's very deep. It's one of the prettiest games we've ever done. It's got like 600 pieces of art in it, and they're all beautiful. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's really solid. Yeah. And I, I guess I should point out, although this has vastly less impact... Uh on an audio podcast and a video that I've noticed that uh, most of the people in your booth are either in shark costumes or have their, their hair dyed blue. Yeah. That's um, <laughs> that's company policy. <laughs> uh, we, dec- we dictate the hair color of our team members here at Lone Shark. Liz is nodding. Liz is not- no, Liz actually, just so you, this sounds even better on a podcast, not only does Liz have Lone Shark blue hair, her, her left arm is covered with a tattoo of the uh, raven of one of the ravens from Apocrypha. Oh, that is that is dedication. That got her another year of employment. <laughs> no question. Well, about it. And now you've got you've got evidence of that. If it, if it absolutely, to absolutely, right there. Yeah. So uh, no, uh, yeah. Uh, Gabby, uh, Gabby, one of our, our lead uh, card and puzzle designers, is in a shark costume. Uh, Shane, our, our uh, chief of operations, is in a shark costume. Aviva has a shark fin on her. Ed, uh, she's our editor. Paul, uh, Paul Peterson, somewhere has the a shark uh, shirt on. I'm pretty much the only one who well, who's not repping. Elisa was wearing the low shirt oh, dress. Elisa, Elisa, our, our game designer and, and art director, uh, was wearing a dress entirely made out of the Lone Shark logo. Right. So, so yeah, um, I, I think people like working here. <laughs> None of that's mandated. Just, that's impressive. Yeah. Uh, so what else? Oh, we want to oh, talk about Thornwood. We should probably talk about Thornwood. I hear that out there, there is this itty bitty tiny starter website called Penny Arcade. Yeah, they. Uh, I think they got a cartoon on it. I might Maybe. be wrong. I might be wrong. I have a tour. Okay, so uh, what you know, probably don't know is that we are in the Lone Shark game. I'm sorry, we're in the Penny Arcade building. Uh, I did not know that. So a couple years ago, yeah, uh, a couple years ago, um, we. Um, we, we, we were going through some things uh, as a company. You know, we're, we're, we're a young company. We've only been around 13 years. And so, but things were transitioning greatly in the company. We were going a different direction. And I went to my friends at Penny Arcade and I said, I need some business advice. I don't know what I'm doing, what I'm doing here. And they said, well, we've listened to your problem. We said, and we've said, the solution to your problem is move in with us. And I'm like, that is perhaps the worst solution to a problem I have ever heard. But we did it, and it's been great. Uh, so, right right when we got there, they said, well, we've been working on this idea for a game called Thornwatch. Uh, it's set in the Ironwood, which is this uh, vast world-spanning forest. And we think we got some cool ideas, but we don't really know what we're doing. And, and uh, quite honestly, we didn't really know either. But uh, eventually we said, why don't we do this together? And they, they loved that idea. So we built this incredibly 
gorgeous game. Uh, it is just sort of having its first public airing uh, outside of a PAX here. Um, and what it's about is you are the guardians of the forest. You're the Thorn Watch. Uh, you you get called to uh, rescue the villagers or something or by some other people by them tying a knot in a tree and then you just appear because you're the exact right people to solve that problem um, which might vary from game to game you um, you play this very rich storytelling uh, board game with uh, very much a choose your own adventure style as if it is set entirely in a comic book and so everything is built with that comic book aesthetic uh, everything's got panels and you feel like your, your characters are built so they sit on the edge of the panels on the map and, and just all sorts of stuff like that um, it's gotten really great uh, response here and so we think we're ready to say this is our next big game it's, it's, it's almost at the point where we can show people the game uh, and, um, to, the, to the whole world and so yeah it's, it's, it's running really well yeah I, I expect there's a lot of anticipation for it I uh, when I was scheduling this and, and, and talking to uh, to uh, Marie she uh, she's like oh but but Mike's Kahulik is only going to be here on Thursday or Friday and I'm like what but I wanted to talk about Numenera yeah exactly <laughs> that's fine that's, that happens a lot yeah no I appreciate that um, uh, we uh, we think that Lone Shark's big strength without any question is that we collaborate better than anyone else in the world like we are fantastic at it and so with Wizards of the Coast on Betrayal at House on the Hill with Monty Cook on Numenera with Penny Arcade on Thornwatch um, uh, with with all the cool authors on Apocrypha um, with all the puzzle makers on the Maze of Games I mean we just we want everybody to work with us and uh, that has worked out very very well for us that is an extremely profitable business model because we just have the best friends <laughs> it's, it's not what you know it's who you know it really like I mean dead serious right I mean, we, we are the model example of if you are nice to everyone things will turn out well for you that's what I did wrong in my life <laughs> yeah no that's oh, a problem right there oh no that's a problem right there okay well thanks for talking to us absolutely thanks for having me on your show alright uh, I'm here at the uh, the 12 Realms booth uh, with, with Alex and I am uh, and we're here to talk about let's see so what what you've been selling here and I know you've got several things that are going to be coming up on Kickstarter later in the year so I guess first uh, out of, uh, what what have people been most excited about out of your uh, your games here at Gen Con well first of all hi oh, hi <laughs> that's okay <laughs> okay uh, so far people seem to be very interested in Hoyuk for some reason maybe because uh, you're tile laying or maybe it has simple clean art and straight rules so they are focusing on that but a lot of people ask us about Karotia is one of our new party games and we have this huge rabbit character that represents the whole game is a small twisted game you have to build a quick maze with the pressure of time and then you have to escape of it in a specific number of moves while birds are chasing you and you have to it's a cooperative game so you have to collect the most carrots and get out so people are really interested for that so you had some 
several copies here to demo, to show it to people. And um, the final game that we see a lot of attention from the people is uh, regarding to everyone's Dungeonland. Dagerland is our upcoming Kickstarter campaign, but at the same time, it's the second world of Royal Realms. I mean, we did the base game and all the expansion, that world is over, now we have to do with completely, totally different gameplay, and uh, we prepare a campaign after Essence Spill uh, in October. It's a huge game with about 50 minutes inside the base game box and some sceneries. It's a twisted dungeon crawl cooperative with different modes. It's, it's quite huge since we have to make stories and adventures and, and all this stuff. Yeah, uh, now is, is Dungeonland, is that, did you say that's fully co-op too or is that one of these, or a semi-co-op? Ah, what's going on is that um, as a game it's a cooperative but it's arena mode, is a competitive. So there are different modes, different modes inside the game. But uh, the best of it is that you can complete a campaign in 60 minutes. It's one of the modes. You can upgrade your character. You can do anything you do in a campaign, like in big games, but in 60 minutes. So that is the basic twist of this one. Uh, but yes, it's cooperative and competitive. You can play either any of those modes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there seem to be more of those uh, coming out these days where you can get to pick or choose which way you want to take the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. It's probably some kind of fashion or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. But we have to think more twists to make it more challenging, you know. They need something more. I think we have found it with the help of some gamers we have now back in Europe. So just hold tight and you will see what's over. <laughs> okay. And uh, and just so when people are looking for your things, uh, you're in the U.S., you're distributed by, by Ninja Division, right? Yeah, correct. Um, we had an, now an agreement and they published most of our games. So far, our cooperation is just fine and we already checked what we will do for the next year and what kind of conventions we can cover, what type of games we can give. I just... I'm pretty sure that we will have more party games because we are growing really fast this um, this category, and we already have find two, three little gems that we love them, and we will make updates very soon. Okay. Uh, now, someone uh, mentioned to me uh, a game that you guys would be coming out with called, uh, or have come out with called Cohort. What's oh, the? Oh yes. That's one of my favorites. It's a simple set collection card game, but it's a, it's a little devil because what you're trying to do is just to set cards and gain, you know, to complete them. But when you trigger a card, there is an effect that works against you. So the, the game itself trying to block you from winning it while you are trying to do it. So it's, it's just one or two rules that make the game so awesome. It, 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 it's not complicated. There are just several groups of romance. You have to match them with the correct numbers. It's not uh, the rules are you know fewer. But um, what we have done is to create another twist in the game. That uh, when you complete your cohort, your group of romance, then this effect that it works negative, it stops triggering you. You choose a player and he discards all his and he discards all his cards. Is the game is going up and down. You don't know who's gonna be the winner. It's really difficult. But 
somehow there is a balance. I mean, you will not take the lead and all the other players will stay behind. You are all moving at the same level. Okay. Uh, and is that is that something that's already out and that's coming out later this year? Or? Uh, we only brought here a few copies, but eventually we will carry it uh, as made at uh, Bacatas in Europe. Mostly. Okay. So that so Crotia uh, and the cohort, you had some copies here, and those have sold out, and then it'll be that for retail be, later. Uh, that was uh, quick. I know that the, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, there will be a print here in US. Uh, about and so fall or something, and uh, pretty much, yes, I think in the next three or four months it will be out of the stores, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot for talking to us. <laughs> I'm here with Chris Birch of Modifius Entertainment, and he is wearing a, uh, a some sort of pin on his shirt. What is what's that pin for? <laughs> Star Trek. <laughs> uh, do you have some sort of Star Trek product? Uh, maybe, yeah. There's this big piece of art behind <laughs> us with like, all hell breaking loose on the bridge. <laughs> so, uh, so I, you guys are are opening, are, are taking sign up for playtesting for Star Trek Adventures. That's right. So yeah, the the new role playing game's coming next year. It's gonna be at Gen Con this year, uh, next year, and um, so sign ups are taking place online and at the show here, and. Um, uh, we'll be starting a playtest with a, a living campaign for Star Trek at the end of September, and you'll be assigned to one of four ships that all have a slightly different um, experience of the living campaign. It's one big uh, sort of plot storyline, and um, each ship will be getting like one ship will get more science missions, one will have more conflict missions, one will have more cultural missions and exploration, and um, uh, over the course of the playtest, you'll report are going to be changing the adventures that are coming out next and uh, so just like a classic living campaign and then we'll be building up towards a finale in the new year and then there's a pre-order starting around Christmas time uh, just before I think just around the same time the new series is starting online uh, on uh, CBS and the um, the pre-order is going to be in, in retail stores and on our websites it's not a Kickstarter but um, we're going to show how many pre-orders we've got and the more pre-orders we get the more we're going to put in with the pre-order simple <laughs> and it's stretch so, goals without Kickstarter yeah and, and retailers can sign up to be part of this they can be taking pre-orders we're going to list them as a star base so you, if you're a retailer, you can get on board, um, uh, list yourself through the uh, distributors, get the little pack. You can be playing Star Trek, being playtesting it in the store, taking pre-orders, and, and be able to give your customers the same bundle. And you know, so we really want to make it a kind of fun, personal journey for us all. Like it's all our turn to go off on the five-year five-year mission now. Okay. Uh, now I know that you are going to be using your 2D20 system, yes, right? Yeah. So, but uh, now I I. Have have uh, a FASA Star Trek RPG, the Decipher Star Trek RPG, yeah. the last Unicorn wow, RPG. Yeah. Uh, what... What, what do you think that those uh, did right as far as capturing the flavor of Star Trek that you guys want to make sure to bring into to your iteration? I mean, they all did amazing jobs. And, I mean, we've, I've been meeting people all weekend here and going, oh, wow, the FASA one was as amazing, or Last Unicorn, or Decipher. And funnily enough, we've got writers from all those versions of the games who I've been meeting, and they all want to be involved, and we're going to get them all um, working with us on the, on the new version of the game. Lots of new writers and big names from recent years.
players who are very experienced and also huge fans. So, <coughs> excuse me, we've got a big, big team of writers coming together, a big team of artists. Some of the guys that do all the CGI on the on the um, ship, uh, the calendars of the ships. So, um, obviously, it's there's a there's no pressure. <laughs> we've got to do a really good job. And for me, it's got to feel like Star Trek when I play it. You know, using a phaser has got to feel like it does on the shows. It's it's um, the the whole atmosphere that we get from the 2D20 system has got to be right and we re- rebuild it from scratch every time we do a game it's not just let's paint it to look like Star Trek it's we you know we have less stats for example in Star Trek than in Conan um, or in Mutant Chronicles there's no hit locations there's no um uh, the way wounds are done is differently so we actually kind of rebuild it to make it feel like Star Trek and um, and we're really bringing out the personal story as well so we all have in the game something like beliefs or traits loyalties mine might be technology will always save us yours might be the prime directive is never wrong but we know from all the shows that that's constantly challenged and we grow as characters we're going to improve by changing those by being confronted by them and uh, you know and it gives the GM plot seeds to work on and it gives you the ability to have these defining character moments that's cool now if I you guys are uh, not only coming out with the role playing game but you're doing a miniature line as well that's right so there's going to be boxes of 10 figures like the Picard's bridge crew Kirk's bridge crew generic bridge crews away teams Klingon borders Romulans um, the old series the Khan era movie maroon uniforms with the flaps uh, the kind of strange security uniforms from the motion picture with kind of helmets <laughs> around their faces. So we're going to do all those so that you can um, utilise them in the role-playing games. You, there's going to be beautiful floor tiles of, of um, uh, Federation ships, of Klingon ships, of strange old uh, colonies and massive red rocks, of course, because you need a red rock for the security to be sent behind. <laughs> and um, the other awesome thing is there's going to be um, in the role-playing game book a chapter called Away Teams that strips back some of the rules so that you can play a quick game so let's maybe say our you know our group didn't turn up tonight it's just you and me I go well look um, let's use the Federation ship you take the the, the Kirk's or um, Picard's bridge crew I'll be the Klingons I'm going to try and capture Kirk great so <laughs> play a little battle out so it's that kind of fun sort of adventure game that you can play that's really like the role playing rules but really quick and fast okay so uh, now you've talked about Kirk's crew and Picard's crew is yeah. uh, are you envisioning the uh, the core book supporting all the various different well, eras I mean, out of the, the box? The, the main setting that we're that when we're writing everything is kind of just pre-Dominion War when everything's about to kick off so it's a lot of tension a lot of stuff going on but we're looking back at Kirk's era as well so with the technology and the politics and to give you enough information to play then um, what we're not doing is a 500 page dump of memory alpha because you've got <laughs> all of that already you've got access to a lot of that information uh, the great thing is when I say you see a phaser gun you know what a phaser looks like you know what a Klingon looks like so we don't need to give you exhaustive details but we're giving you much more personal insight so the the chapter on what Starfleet is going to have uh, a letter from a, a Romulan ambassador there's going to be a report by a Klingon uh, intelligence team on what they think of elements of Starfleet and what they've seen and, and, and you know not all of it might be true there might be sort of hearsay and rumours and stuff and so we're trying to bring out the, the personal side of Star Trek and, and bring to life characters as well and, um, and, and show you a different side to it. 
Okay. Now, uh, obviously, uh, Star Trek is not the only uh, product that you you have here in the booth. Uh, Octung Cthulhu, yes. Mutant Chronicles, Mutant Chronicles, uh, Dust Adventures, Mind Jammer. We have Symbarum, uh, Mutant Year Zero, uh, Mutant Gen Lab Alpha, which is when we get to play mutant animals, which is awesome. So we've got a really growing range of role playing games. Okay. I mean, uh, is there anything that uh, you think people have been particularly excited about this con? Uh, well, um, Symbarum sold out. We had um, it looks gorgeous. We had uh, Acting Cthulhu sold out several of the books. Uh, Mutant Chronicles is obviously the big new range that's been going really well. Uh, and of course, we've got like 15 of the uh, 17 books here that's coming, and so that's a really big, exciting range. And it's it's crazy, big, uh, big guns and bigger shoulder pads. So <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Okay, thanks for talking. Thanks to a lot. Us. Cheers. Thanks. Okay. I guess this will be the last segment in this uh, live from Gen Con 2016 episode. I'm not actually at Gen Con anymore. I'm on the road home. My uh, oldest kid's first day of school this year is tomorrow, so I have to make it all the way back tonight. Uh, this was a pretty busy Sunday. I think I said something about this earlier. It was a, a very scheduled Sunday, more than my, my Sundays at Gen Con usually are. Uh, in addition to the discussions with publishers and designers that you've already heard, I, uh, I finally got to sit down and, and very briefly uh, demo uh, via Nebula, and I also got to uh, very briefly play the uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer game that uh, Via Nebula is already out, although I think it may have sold out. And so, I mean, it certainly sold out at the show, I think maybe on Friday. Um, the Buffy game is slated to come out around Halloween this year. So uh, we're still playing on a, on a prototype copy that didn't have the, the finalized flavor text and, and such. Uh, but I, I did enjoy... Uh, messing around with both of those. Um, so uh, I will uh, close this out, and probably the next thing you're here will be me doing some canned things back at home in the uh, quote unquote editing bay. Uh, and after that, will probably come a, a normal episode where Jay and I talk about our Gen Con experiences. Uh, or, or, or maybe a Seafall episode. I, I, I don't know, because I'm pretty sure that's going to get played pretty quickly. Uh, Chris out. You have been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there on iTunes or wherever you downloaded this episode. You can also find Strange Assembly on social media. We are at Strange Assembly on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. If you'd like to contact me directly, I'm Chris at StrangeAssembly.com. I always like to hear your comments, criticisms, and other feedback. But until then, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. <laughs>